Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Goldie hits a high fly ball into deep left center. Dyson back at the wall. Gone! Carpenter hits it down the right field line. That ball is down. Off the wall. One run will score. They're going to wave him in. Relay to the plate. He is safe. No! They're going to call him out. One run does score to make it a 3-2 Cardinal lead. In the air. Left center. Well hit. Taylor back Kenny put him away on the 0-2 pitch. Merrifield running, base hit into right. And the Royals go on top, an 0-2 pitch. And that makes it a 6-5 Kansas City lead. Oh, the comeback Cardinals, T-Bone. Yes! The comeback Cardinals. Now, they didn't finish off the comeback, but they came back. Oh, I thought we were talking about the first two. Well, I was talking about last night, but I mean, you could look at it as the comeback Cardinals over the weekend. Yeah, because they're on their way back. Look, in all honesty, NL Central Division winners print the shirts now. Too much rainbows right now because you will a game below 500 pumping pumping rainbows. I'm not going to say where. You can put them wherever you like, but I'm not going to pump rainbows because you are one game below 500 still. You did miss out on the sweep, which would have been a huge asset for you after being swept by the Atlanta Braves but you do have to start off talking about the fact that look they got the job done what did we talk about going into that weekend Tanner we talked about you gotta win series I thought we were burying them well I, uh, I did that on Friday but they found a way to undertaker themselves up out of the ground and pull and pull themselves back into this race but you won the series you found a way to beat a team that was lesser than you a team that was riding a high streak coming off of a victory in a series against the White Sox and you put it to them at home. Now, are we sitting here saying that they're making a push for the wild card race? Yeah, we are. No. Oh. But they got the job done. Now they go on the road. Now they get set for Pittsburgh. And with Tanner Hendrickson, who is in for BK today, BK will be back with us tomorrow. What? We got our guy Andrew Marsh, Marshy Marsh, in studio with us today as well. So let's start with that, Tanner. Let's start with the fact that you lost last night. And I say last night because there was a two-hour rain delay. Wow, you are negative. Man. I know. Well, I, start with a well, negative start first. With a loss. But you take two of three against the Kansas City Royals. And that in itself 
should at least pump some type of positive energy into some Cardinals fans. Yeah, it's a good series to have that rebound one from. Again, Atlanta, sure, they were below 500 entering that series here in St. Louis, and maybe they hadn't been at 500 all year, but that's still a decent team. You can see the pieces on the Braves team. I look at the Royals and I go, the one piece they have is Whit Merrifield and Salvador Perez. That's it. Salvi didn't play, what, two of the three games? Yeah, I believe so. So, Salvi and Merrifield, that's the only guys the Royals have on that roster. There's not a lot of talent there. And as you said, the below 500 teams. So, them taking two of three, that's a big step for the Cardinals. That's a good rebound series before they head on this six-game road trip where they're going to play the Pirates and the Royals. And honestly, I I thought they looked really good over the weekend. We saw just about every phase of the game kind of click for them. We saw some decent starting pitching in game one with Wainwright. Game two, didn't get the great start, but you saw the bullpen kind of kind of mesh things together i believe they threw five scoreless innings which is great to see out of the pen and then last night the offense kind of clicked we saw the comeback late which is nice you just didn't get that third phase and then the pitching that kind of fell apart on you defense was a little bit shaky last night but two or three from the royals is great the sweep would have been nice because you make up for not getting two of three from the braves but you have to take two out of three from the royals that's a good sign for the cardinals and i feel a little bit confident as they hit on this road trip to Pittsburgh and Kansas City. Yeah, and you know, watching that game last night, I know a lot of people could either complain about Angel Hernandez behind the plate with his strike zone, and I know Nolan Arenado had to hold uh, hold himself back a little bit to not get tossed in that game, and good thing he didn't because he was a part of that comeback. And you can question the Alex Reyes coming out of a rain delay, a two-hour rain delay after he threw, what, six pitches. At the end of the day, you won the series, and by no means am I going to take anything away from the Cardinals. But I do think something was a little clearer after that loss last night. The weather. Well, it was clear after the rain delay, Tanner, but that was a good try there. It's pretty obvious that the Cardinals have pitching that can hold them over in the games. And I know that sounds insane to say because the pitching has been what has hurt this team so much this season with all of the injuries. But look at Friday. Adam Wainwright is able to go out there and deliver. He, he basically stops the losing streak. Seven innings, two runs. He gives you exactly what you need. You're starting pitching. Your offense scored four runs in that game, which is a great sight to have. But your pitching is what won that game for you. Saturday, pitching not great. KK doesn't look very strong for you. And we'll get into KK as we move along here today because it does feel like KK is in a little bit of a, an injury possible situation but your bullpen comes out and does the impossible and you find a way to shut down the opposition after you score five runs. But that's what was clear to me after yesterday. Your pitching can win you ball games. I don't know if your offense can. Props to the Cardinals because they made the push to make it 5-5 late in the game. But you had the opportunity afterwards and I know the rain delay stunted everything, but I don't know if your offense has enough juice to come back and win you games like your pitching does. Yeah, see, I kind of would push back on that a little bit just because, and I'm kind of with you. I do agree. Yeah, I don't know if the offense is good enough to where if you had a game where it was you give up seven, they can go out and score eight, which is a tough task in its own. But last night, seeing them come back down three in which they were putting up that three spot in the bottom of the eighth made me feel a little bit better because you had the heart of the order. What have we talked about all season long, it feels like, is, well, guys come up at the right time. You had Goldschmidt, Arnado coming up. You had guys on base. You had the tying run, and eventually you had the go-ahead run on base for O'Neill, and he didn't come through. But it felt like a lot of times this season, we've talked about the Cardinals, and we said, well, they had runners at first and third, one out with Goldie Arnado coming up, and they just didn't come through. 
Well, last night they came through, and, and I think that's a good that's a good sign for the Cardinals because that's what you're going to need if you're going to have these comeback style of games. If you're down by two and you get guys on, you get the heart of your order, you expect those guys to come through, and last night we saw them do it. So I'm kind of with you there that, yeah, I don't know if the offense has the the oomph to get you in some of these games but I think last night may have been a little bit of a better sign seeing them come back down by three against this Royals team so I asked this question last night to you after that game T-Bone and I said was this series a ticked off Cardinals team that needed a rebound after their sweep to the Atlanta Braves really honestly an embarrassing sweep to the Braves was this a ticked off team that that showed themselves that they can make a serious push or was this just an average team beating a below average team? Because initially I look at it, I'm thinking, okay, look, Cardinals are better than what they performed against the Atlanta Braves. Are they going to make the playoffs? I still believe that they're not going to, but can they make a push? They always seem to in August and September. Was this that coming out party for this Cardinals that says, okay, hey, we, we were embarrassed by the Atlanta Braves. We have not played well. We're getting our guys back. This is possibly that, okay, we're here, let's make a push. And we all have talked about it. The schedule favors the Cardinals down the stretch in terms of playing teams that are in a playoff spot that you could leapfrog over. But then the more I think about it, the more I look at it and say, I think you just beat an average team or a below average team. It was without Salvador Perez for two of three, who's a big offensive weapon for them. Their pitching has not been great this season. Their bullpen has been much better think this was a game that you had to win for the Cardinals but I also think this was just a average team beating a below average team yeah I, I think I'm with you I I don't I know that they were ticked off coming out of that series but I felt like if they were if we we're going to claim that this was a ticked off team winning a series over the Royals you would have completed the sweep and you would have dominated the Royals all three of these games were very close that's a great point all three of these games were very close and could have gone either way uh honestly like kk gives you four innings i i probably i was sitting there on saturday thinking oh boy i don't know if we can hold this i was proven wrong now the reason i say that i think it's an average team beating a below average team is because it's kind of what the cardinals have done now have they overwhelmingly well, performed against unless it's the pirates and the tigers and the rockies uh, yeah, they can't beat them they're pretty they're hey to be fair that's a good team <laughs> uh, but I, I think this was just one of those where it's that's a below average team. Cardinals have been decent against below 500 teams this season. It's above 500 teams that they struggle against. That, that's why I kind of include the Braves into that category because I believe no matter what the record shows, they're above 500 team in my uh, in my book. But I think it was just a below average team that struggles. I think the, I think I read the Royals have been swept. I think it was like 10 times or something this season. Yikes. So that tells you they they struggle. They don't have pitching offensively. They've got a couple pieces, but not a lot that makes you worried about that lineup. So I just think it was the Cardinals, an average team that can take two of three from a below 500 club. Yeah, and look, the problem for St. Louis right now is the fact that they can't get away from this 500 hole. We, we've talked about the hole that they've dug, and they can't get out of it themselves. But right now, a team that is one game below 500, they came into that loss yesterday at 500, and you've been around 500. What BK called it a couple of weeks ago, the rubber, rubber band, band effect. And that's exactly what this is. You're going one way, and then you're going right back to where you were for the Cardinals. So some numbers that I looked at last night, their 4-5 and five record on this homestand, 500, right around 500. 7-11 on Sunday games. Four games below 500, 15 and 20 in, in series finales, five games below 500. They've lost more series than they've won this season. They've lost 17. They've won 14. 
close to 500. Like this, in my opinion, is a 500 baseball team. And, and how about how about the last 21 days? Cardinals have been at the 500 mark eight times in the last 21 days, four times above the 500 mark, and six times below the 500 mark. And then the icing on the cake, and I saw Ben Fred put this article out earlier today on the Post-Dispatch, a, a column basically talking about how it's like, look, there was just no pushback from the Cardinals, and he's stating what Mike Shan, legendary broadcaster on the Cardinals radio network, said last night on the broadcast, this just isn't a good team. And look, Mike Shannon is a honest man, but they're a 500 ball club. They're two and 45 after when they're trailing after seven innings. Two and 45 after trailing seven innings. Like there's no there's no pushback there from this team. So you're right around 500. You if you want to make the playoffs, and I'm I'm seeing the Air Comfort Service text on at six five seven eight zero. Oh my God, you guys are talking about the positives after a series win against the Royals. This team's not a playoff team. Alex, you're insane. I understand. I have been saying the Cardinals will not make the playoffs this season. But if they want to have a chance, if there ha- if there's any sort of pushback for this team, you got to break through this 500 threshold. You got to go and you got to win two of three against the Pirates. You got to go sweep the Pirates so that you can sit here and say, okay, we're not a 500 team anymore. We're a team that actually can go on a run. Yeah, you got to find a way to push through the 500 mark because I know a couple of times now we've talked about all right, you've gotten to 500. Usually the big story when you get to 500 is once you get there and get that one game above the 500 mark, then you feel like the teams kind of make that next move and start to go on a run. Look at the Braves, for example. They just took, they swept the Cardinals, and then I believe they took two or three this weekend. Uh, so they are starting, they went above 500, and they're making that push now. The Cardinals haven't done that. They've done exactly what BK said. They've done that rubber band effect where it's, all right, we got a game above 500, two games above 500. All right, maybe this is that breakthrough. No, then they come right back down, and they lose some disappointing series. That's the other thing, too, is it's it's not like they're losing two of three to the Dodgers or to the Brewers, and we're saying, oh, well, you know, that's they a good team, two, and they yeah. drop back. If they lose two or three to the Dodgers, you feel a little bit better you about yourself. Better, yeah, But that's not how it's been. It's just been kind of this mediocrity against some of these below 500 teams and not taking advantage of those games just doesn't help them propel, and as Brandon Moss told us on Friday, you have to go game by game by game, and you just have to say, okay, well, we just got to win this one, and then hopefully something builds. They just haven't been able to build it yet this season. I think you have 22 games left the rest of the season against 500 or below teams, and you got 29 against teams that are above you in the playoff race. So you want a path? There's your path, and you're not going to find out what they are against those teams until next Tuesday when they take on the Milwaukee Brewers. But for now, you got to get the job done, like you said, and you have six against on the road, three against the Pirates, three against the Royals, six against teams that are out of the playoffs. Tuesday, it'll be against Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh. You get Jay Happ on the mound as of now taking on this Pittsburgh team. And I say as of now. Get, get pumped, Are you going to change the rotation? I might change the rotation. And as Mike Schilt once told BK... We're going to get Cologne. It's not your job. Bartolo Cologne? Yeah. No, I don't think he's coming back no. in this one. No, but you might be getting Jack Flaherty on the mound against Pittsburgh. Hey, that's a pretty good upgrade, too. That's a pretty darn good upgrade. Do we see the return of Flaherty and Michaelis this week? And... How much does that change a playoff push in your opinion? We'll touch on that next. It's BK and Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson. He's Andrew Marsham, Alex Ferrario. And we're back in four minutes here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. The great news is we have we have Jack and, and um, maybe Miles coming back. And we, we have something that we haven't had for a while. Not a um, search under the covers for starters. We've, we've been able to 
now um, we have a, a guys that we got we have choices which is a beautiful thing and um, you know we got days off we can go to a six man we can you know figure it out but I can't tell you the rotation now only because um, we're still finalizing where Jack's going to slot in and we'll have that rotation for you soon. Someone's excited. That, that was actually audio of BK on his way back from vacation when he found out that Flaherty and Michaelis were on the way back. And by the way, was that a shot kind of underneath the covers from Mike Schultz? Did you hear him? It's like, you know, we don't have to be searching for uh, fill-in starters. Who's he? Who he thinks he's Probably doing? John Lester and Jay Happ. What? No. I'm just saying. Who else are you talking about? I mean, if he's The upset, other guys are down up, in the minors. If he's upset with Jay Happ, it's because he's messed up his name. Well, you shouldn't be upset with Jay Happ because Jay Happ pitched awesome the other day. And John Lester was great through three innings and then struggled hey, in those last couple of He's good at giving up runs. It's fine. But look, you're at the point now where Miles Michaels and Jack Flaherty are on their way back. As um, Mike Schilt noted there on the return, the manager for the Cardinals, um, Jack Flaherty made his previous rehab start on Friday in Springfield and they said if all goes accordingly if he heals correctly that he could be slated to return to the to the big leagues after that rehab start now if you're going five days rest after that start you're looking at possibly Wednesday this week that Jack Flaherty could make his return although the Cardinals aren't going to say what the pitching rotation is going to look like for that series until tomorrow when they get set to take on the Pirates but it does look pretty clear that Jack Flaherty is on his way back. His most recent rehab start was on Friday. Four innings, three earned runs in Springfield. Uh, picked up, gave up three hits, one home run, and had three strikeouts in that one. But that's coming off his previous start on August 1st, where he went three innings, two earned runs, one walk, and five strikeouts. So Jack Flaherty has made a total of three rehab starts going all the way back to July 27th. And it does seem like he's ready to return. Miles Michaelis is the unclear one because they really didn't say where he was at. He had a rehab start yesterday, so there's a chance he could return or there's a chance he could keep him down in the minors for one more. But the big picture here is the fact that your reinforcements are returning possibly this week with Jack and Miles to solidify this rotation, T-Bone. Yeah, so the return of Flaherty, I, the big question for them now is whether or not you want to do it in a National League ballpark or not to where he has to hit, or if you want to wait until you get that designated hitter when you go to Kansas City. Sounds like Flaherty's chomping at the bit, so I don't know if I'd want to try and tell him. Well, yeah, he was the one that said he was City. frustrated for not yeah, pitching yet. So I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing Jack's return. I, I think it's going to be a huge boost to the Cardinals. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say he's the savior that helps get this team to the playoffs, but I think he's going to provide a huge boost to this team because now you've got two solid starters in your rotation in Adam Wainwright and Jack Flaherty. Now, I, I can't remember the quote that it was of uh, – President of Baseball Operations, John Mosaic, it was something along the lines when that Flaherty injury occurred, it just happened at the right time where it kind of let the air out of the balloon. Flaherty, to me, is going to provide a spark. You're getting your ace back. You're getting a Cy Young caliber pitcher who was pitching really well at the time that he got injured. When he was at a 2-9 ERA, was 8-1, and was leading Major League Baseball and wins at the time. So I believe that them coming back, again, he's not the savior to get them to the playoffs, but I'm thinking that this Flaherty return is going to provide a bit of a spark to this team, and then maybe they can go on a little bit of a run with Jack Flaherty and Miles Michaelis coming back into the rotation. Yeah, the way it's slated right now, T-Bone, is they got Jay Happ on the mound Tuesday. They have Adam Wainwright slated for Wednesday's matchup against the Pirates, and it's to be determined for Thursday against Pittsburgh. So you either push Wayno back or you 
keep Flaherty in that Thursday spot for this. But I'm with you. you. You are going to get a spark back with Jack Flaherty. And I know everyone makes fun of Anthony Stalter on the fast lane because it's just as good as a trade, right? We hear that all the time. You're making trades for two starting pitchers in your rotation. There's a little bit of both in this one. And it's your daily hit of sitting on the fence with BK and Ferrario oh, here. Come on. But look, you are you're getting a guy who can give you consistently six or seven innings. He can give you what Adam Wainwright has provided you. That's going to add two guys in your bullpen that you can trust to not have to abuse your bullpen. Can Miles give you that when he's back? I hope so. I hope Miles is going to be that healthy. But at best, if he's not, you're going to get five innings from Miles, which is more than what a KK can give you on kind of every other day start, more than what John Lester's been able to give you because you're down usually when you get through five with him. And Jay Happ, I'm, you know, the verdict's still out on that. We're going to see what he's got tomorrow against Pittsburgh. But I don't know if it's going to give you the spark that says, okay, well, they're back in the playoff race. Because you're talking about every fifth day, but you're also talking about relying on that offense to help assist these starting pitchers, if that makes sense. Yeah, and the biggest thing for me with these guys coming back is that you're adding that kind of consistency to the rotation. Because who's the guy that you say, all right, here's what we're going to get in this outing from this starter in the Cardinals rotation? Really, the only guy that you can say that of is Adam Wainwright. You know you're going to get six or seven innings from Adam Wainwright. is going to be a quality start. LeBlanc, he's been kind of hit and miss. Jay Happ, he was good in his first start, but he hasn't been good all year if you look at his overall numbers. John Lester's been iffy in his two starts. KK has gone back to struggling for some odd reason. He's not looked good in his last two. So adding Jack Flaherty into that rotation and you kind of know what you're going to get. Maybe not at first. This first start, I'm not saying, all right, we're going to get six or seven innings. I expect them to be a little cautious and careful with him. But by the time you get to that Milwaukee series when he would be making his second start, you say, okay, we kind of expect six innings about a quality start from Jack Flaherty. And if Miles Michaelis can be healthy, I, I think if you can get him back to about 2019 form where he had a 4.16 ERA and 184 innings pitched, that's what you need. Just a guy that can go and cover some innings for you because, again, you're going to want and try getting to that big three and close that gap without trying to go to a Garcia or a McFarlane or a Justin Miller. So getting some consistency, if you can get three guys being consistent out of your rotation, I really like your odds moving down the stretch of this season. I think the big thing, too, in this scenario is the fact that you're looking more at the Milwaukee Brewers series. Like, it'd be good to get those guys back this week and get some reps in, you know, if Jack's able to start against Pittsburgh and if Miles is possibly able to start against Kansas City on Saturday or Sunday, then you're getting those reps in before you take on the Milwaukee Brewers for that home stretch, and that's the important part. Let's let's do this real quick, T-Bone, because I want to touch on KK, but let's look at this. If Flaherty and Michaelis return to the rotation, when they return to the rotation, who gets pushed out here? Because I think we all are in agreement that you have Flaherty, Michaelis, and Ueno. Those are the three that are for sure in your rotation. Then it comes down to the other three to fill two spots, J-Hap, John Lester, and KK. For me, and I'd like to see what J-Hap has to offer for you, but I'd probably use Jay Happ once again. And I hate to say this, but I, I think I'm probably going to John Lester. And I know that sounds oh, I know, okay, I know that sounds crazy. Over there. Hear me out for a minute though. What's in your coffee? I don't know if KK's fully healthy. But before we get into that, who's your five there? So my five are Flaherty, Michaelis, Wayno. Right now, I would stick with Wade LeBlanc in the rotation just because I've only seen oh one God. start out of Jay Happ. I'm so disappointed in myself. I forgot Wade LeBlanc was in that rotation. You forgot about <laughs> LeBlanc? I forgot about LeBlanc oh there. Oh, my gosh. Yikes. So I, I would still stick KK in there, but I do think that it's going to come down to whoever's pitching better of those three. 
three between KK, uh, LeBlanc, Hap, and or sorry, those four and Lester because. KK hasn't looked great in his last two outings, as you kind of mentioned, and that's coming off in which he had a string of four straight quality starts, and he looked like he was back to his 2020 self. Yeah. And to me, if KK's back to his 2020 self, it, to me it means he's A, healthy, and B, he can be a very effective left-handed starter for the Cardinals. And I'm not saying an ace. I'm saying a very good quality number three, number four starter for this Cardinals team, which they're going to need Talking down KK? the straight. Yes. Oof. I don't know about that. By the way, I didn't even know LeBlanc was that option. I completely forgot. So, I, honestly, Lester's not in that. KK's not in that. LeBlanc and Hap are my ba- back to on my rotation. And and that's pending what Hap performs against the Pirates because we saw the kind of offset with him against the Atlanta Braves. But I did like what he offered because he threw strikes much like LeBlanc does. But, look, to get into KK, I don't know if you're going to get that from him. I, I mean, he has been inconsistent this season now his last time out he gave up two runs went four innings but he threw 83 pitches he had five given up against cleveland but that was what july 28th i mean you you basically are skipping a start from kk right now which signals that it just doesn't look like he's a hundred percent for you and i don't know if you can rely on that to give you strikes and give you innings in your rotation i think at this point your best asset for kk is to switch him into a rotation or I'm sorry, switch him into your bullpen and have a guy that you trust to get to if something goes wrong with J-Hap, Wade LeBlanc, or if craziness happens with Michaelis or Wayno or Flaherty. Because I don't know if you have those guys anymore. You've lost, you know, Ponce de Leon is still on rehab. You don't have the Austin Gomber. John Gant has been traded away. You got guys who can come in and give you an inning. I don't know if you got guys who can come in and give you two or three innings right now. That's where KK can become an asset. And frankly, John Lester might be able to come an asset for that to you as well. See, to me, KK, I like him in the rotation because, yeah, you look at his numbers and you go, well, he's just been inconsistent because we see multiple starts where it's three to four innings and you see a couple where it's five and then you see that stretch where he had uh, four straight quality starts. But to me, his overall numbers are not bad. It's just a matter of can he get consistent with uh, attacking the zone, making sure he's being efficient. That was his biggest thing against the Royals in Cleveland was he just wasn't efficient. A lot of uh, high pitch counts, like 83 pitches through four innings yesterday, and the Cardinals probably could have thrown him out for a fifth, or excuse me, on Saturday. They probably could have thrown him out there for a fifth, but they opted not to because they wanted to pinch hit. They had runners on in scoring position. I just think that KK, again, overall numbers 3.36 ERA, his numbers aren't bad. I just think if he's healthy, and that's and that's, that's a big, a big that's if the big right if, now, though, is if he's healthy, he's such an effective pitcher. And the reason I say if he's healthy is because early in the year he dealt with the back injury that was pretty well known. And then over the weekend we hear that, you know, part of the reason for that extra rest because he had nine days off between his last start uh, when he started over the weekend was because his elbow had been barking. Well. If his elbow's barking... I think everyone's elbows are barking right now if you pitch for the Cardinals. Yeah, so if his elbow's barking, I think that takes away some of his effectiveness from KK. Again, I'm I'm kind of speculating that I'd, I'm not 100% sure he's healthy. I could be 100% wrong, but without seeing medical stuff, come on now. I just If he's not healthy, then he's not as effective. But yeah. when he's effective, he's really good for the Cardinals. And we saw it in 2020. We've seen kind of spurts of it this year. I just think that if he's healthy, he's a crucial part as being a decent number four starter in this Cardinals rotation. Well, let's ask Katie Wu this. Uh, the Athletic Cardinals insider joins us for her weekly hit coming up in our next segment. Katie Wu, she was also in Springfield on Friday for Flaherty Start, so we'll get into some of that with her as well. It's 11:28. your time check presented by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Tanner Hendrickson in for Brandon Kylie, Andrew Marsh here as well. I'm Alex Ferrario. Katie Wu with us next here on 101 ESPN. 
This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Air Comfort Service, text line 65780. We'll get to some of your questions and answers in about 10 to 12 minutes here on BK and Ferrario. Tanner Hendrickson, Andrew Marsh is here. No BK today. He'll be back with us tomorrow. But now we're going to head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and welcome in everyone's favorite Katie Wu for our weekly chat here on BK and Ferrario. And Katie, I'm going to start this off with some great news for you because I know yesterday was a rough one. Two hours of rain delay. I think it was almost three hours of a rain delay. Are you ready for some positive news? I am so ready. There's only a 40% chance of rain for the next three days in Pittsburgh. Okay, great. Wow. So, <laughs> Thank you so much. So, the way I look at I it know, is... I don't know, guys. It was not supposed to rain yesterday until like 8 p.m. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> here comes this like monster storm and you could just feel the mood in the press box. We were all like, oh my God. <laughs> it's... it's it's fine. There's nothing worse than the ninth inning, and you would just watch those gray clouds just roll as fast as possible when there's three to six outs left, and you're thinking, okay, just pitch the ball, get a grounder, we're done with this, it'll rain right when we stop. And then, of course, it starts to downpour in the middle of this one. But, Katie, despite that, there is some good news. It's the fact that the Cardinals pulled out a series victory against the Kansas City Royals. And I want to bring you into a conversation that T-Bone and I were just having before the break. You know, the good news of Jack Flaherty and possibly Miles Michaelis returning with those two guys set to return within the next week or so, what's your rotation look like if you put those two in? Who gets bumped out? Oh, my gosh, this is so much fun, guys, because for the first time since, like, maybe all season, there are options, right? <laughs> we, this is, like, a, a really fun thing to picture because now it's no longer a question of, oh, my gosh, where are we going to find these arms? We only have three starters. Where can we get two more? It's wow, we have potentially seven. How do we make this work? Who's going to the bullpen? This is really exciting. Like, this is a good problem to have, right? It gets me very excited, as you can tell. Um, so let's let's look at it this way. We have the three guys that you know are going to be starters no matter what. That's Jack Flaherty. That's Adam Wainwright. That's Miles Michaelis. Uh, I don't think the Cardinals have decided yet if Jack is coming back Thursday or Friday. I feel like Jack wants to go as soon as possible, but it does make sense to wait and push him to Friday if it's a DH game, which it is in Kansas City. He won't have to swing the bat. So weighing the two options there. Miles Michaelis had his last rehab start yesterday. Didn't fare too well. Box score was not too pretty. I wasn't there, though, um, and my speculation is that it was what Jack was working on in Springfield, as in just making sure his pitches were right, that he had all his arsenal, he had the field for his pitches, and the box score would indicate he did not. Um, but, again, I haven't talked to Miles, so I don't know exactly what was going on there. Um, and then Wainwright, of course. So you have those three guys. Then it gets a little dicey, and I think a lot of this will depend on the performance over the next two couple starts for these guys. You have Hap, Lester, LeBlanc, Kim, and two of those guys are going to have to go to the bullpen. Now, we've seen Wade LeBlanc be pretty good in both situations. You know, he's been very good as a spot starter. He's actually been probably one of the most consistent pitchers the Cardinals have had over the last month. And we've seen KK had a really good July, but had tapered off a little bit. You know, only went uh, barely three innings in Cleveland, a little short, high pitch count, went four innings in his last start, and was dealing with a little bit of an elbow issue. Again, that's very minor. Sounds more like fatigue more than anything. Those would be my two guys that the Cardinals moved to the bullpen. I mean, again, it goes to experience. LeBlanc has done it before. He fit that role well, multi-inning guy. And KK closed last year for the Cardinals for a bit and had a really decorated career as a reliever in the KBO. So if I'm looking at those decisions, 
just based on paper, those are the two guys I'm eyeing that will probably go to the bullpen and, and, you know, obviously boost the bullpen just based on the pitchers they are. But it will, again, go down to performance, too. So this is, you know, a fun little dilemma to have. So glad we're finally here. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Katie, I want to stick with the bullpen because you know I like to try put, putting people into the circle of trust here on BK and Ferrari yeah, and it always, always gets shot down. It's like a nightclub. The more, the merrier. But I, I, I look at the bullpen, and we've talked about the big three, and they need a little bit of a supporting cast. And I look at Luis Garcia, and now I also look at TJ McFarland. Both guys have been good of late. Do you think those guys are kind of starting to provide this supporting cast that can kind of bridge the gap from maybe a five-inning start to get to the big three? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the re- what they were targeting. I, mean, I talked to TJ McFarland the other day, and he said, you know, that's, this is my role. If I can go in, if we have a starter that goes five innings, you know, and that's the ideal bare minimum the Cardinals want from their starters is five innings. TJ says, you know, if, we, if I go five innings, or if a starter goes five innings and I can pitch two, that's one less arm we need, you know. And I think both of these guys, both guys that have been have done this before, TJ McFarland was really successful in Oakland in 2020, and we've seen Garcia hit a groove. They've really benefited from the defense behind them. You know, McFarland is a ground ball guy. He, he's not afraid to pitch for contact. He's really aided by defense. Garcia, the more that he plays behind, the more that he can relax, the better that he is. So seeing these two guys, and we've, again, I feel like been lamenting over the bullpen and not having enough to bridge the gap to those big three in Cabrera, Gallegos, and Reyes. Now you're seeing some of these veterans coming in that everyone is kind of like, why would you sign them? You know, come on, Mo, what are you doing? Hmm. But these, these experienced free agent relievers that have kind of been just tossed aside have come back have reinvented themselves here with a great catcher and a great defense behind them, and you've seen the success to follow. And I think that in particular – is the model that the Cardinals are hoping that Lester and Hap can follow and bridge through August and then go full throttle in September. All right, circle of trust right there. There we go. There you go. Two more guys. That's why we, at least somebody's in for the circle of trust with you, T-Bone. We're talking with Katie Wu, Cardinals insider for The Athletic. Of course, you, as always, you can follow her on Twitter at Katie J. Wu. Katie, I want to circle back to Jack Flaherty. You were in Springfield watching him Friday for that rehab start. What did you think of Jack, and did you feel like we're starting to see shades of the guy that was – for the Cardinals pre-injury? I don't want to go out and proclaim anything, but Jack has made it very clear that he feels good to go. He's ready to go. Like he wants to pitch now. I think he's actually been wanting to pitch since May 31st. <laughs> um, but, you know, that, that final rehab start in Springfield was, again, about fine-tuning things. You know, there were a lot of uh, breaking pitches he wanted to work on. He didn't see him use a slider too much because he said it felt good. So that was more about honing fastball command and with three other pitches, the three other off-speed pitches, making sure that he had his full arsenal ready to go when he does return to a major league ballpark. Um, I think, you know, he's checked pretty much all of the boxes. There is going to be some trepidation when it comes to just swinging and the oblique issue. Um, and that's why, in my opinion, and again, this is not by any means official, that it would make sense to move him to Friday where he's not swinging a bat. However, good luck convincing him to wait another day. (laughs) I feel like he thinks that he's waited long enough. Um, But yeah, you know, I think getting Jack back is a huge boost to this club. I mean, obviously look at how they were with him. Look how they trailed off without him. If you can get Jack Flaherty back to where he was in the beginning of the year, if you can get Jack out there commanding that rotation, giving those seven innings, being lights out like he was, you know, this is a brand new ball club. I really do think so. You compliment that with Adam Wainwright. I know there are concerns over Michaelis and his injury history, but, you know, at this point, when you finally have the top three arms that you've had, top four, when you put KK in there, potentially if he stays in the rotation, it's middle of August. You finally got the four guys you were envisioning, you know. Got to celebrate that at some point. (laughs) 
Katie, you know, we talk about the faces of the game, and it feels like the Cardinals have struggled with one, if not multiple, during some games and during some stretches this season, whether it be the pitching, which is now getting healthy, the bullpen, or just the offense in general, or defense, which they struggled a little bit last night defensively. Over the weekend, we saw the game on Saturday where we saw everything kind of click. Now they got the short outing from KK, but then the bullpen played well. Defensively, mm-hmm. they were good. Offensively, they were good. And we saw two pinch hit uh, RBIs. Do you think we're starting to see the Cardinals kind of click on all phases of the game? I mean, isn't that what we've been waiting for all season? They've yeah. shown in, in part how good they can be. I mean, we've seen how good their offense can be. The defense I was a little sloppy yesterday, but overall, defense is very good. The base running is very underrated. The pitching staff can get it together, and the bullpen is good in flashes. And they just, again, have yet to put it all together consistently, minus for about three weeks in end of April, early May. And that's when people were looking around like, oh, this is the Cardinals team that was expected to win the division. So, you know, I think they they certainly hope so. The bullpen, I do think, looks really good. Uh, If you have a strong bullpen and you complement with a strong starting rotation, I think those are the two components that they've been missing all year long is having strength on both sides. Um, And the offense, of course, has been up and down all year. Um, So I think that still is the biggest question for me. Um, Obviously, Jack and Miles coming back answer a lot of questions about the rotation. You've seen guys like McFarlane and Garcia and even Justin Miller come in here and, and be able to fortify that rotation or that bullpen, excuse me. So now it's just about, hey, can these hitters that definitely have the capability, that have the prestige, that have the experience, can they get hot at the right time? You, you guys know this so much about September and so much about a postseason chase is just who gets hot at the right time. So if they can do it, I know that we talk about strength of schedule a lot. So do they. You know, they're looking at, the, at their opponents, too, saying here's when we can make up ground because that September schedule is brutal. But you do play a lot of opponents that you're going to have to make up ground with in that process. You play the Brewers a ton. Padres come to town. They go to the Mets. The Dodgers are in town. Like, those are not easy games to win by all means. But if you get hot at the right time and you start clicking, all of a sudden you beat those teams and you're making up ground a lot faster than you would be. Katie, final one for you. Uh, Offensively, Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson, they're really starting to heat up, especially in this previous series against the Kansas City Royals. How crucial with the return of Flaherty and Michaelis is the push going to be of having a Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson a top peak performance? I think that push has always been there for those two. I mean, the organization is really high on both for for obvious reasons. I mean, Tyler O'Neill is definitely becoming more of a, or less of a two true outcome hitter and a much more well-rounded player. His defense is stellar. He's been working walks and just becoming a more well-rounded approach at the plate. Well, Dylan Carlson has just been, you know, everything they've asked him to do, he's been able to do it. I really like him in the leadoff spot. His ability to see a lot of pitches from that pitcher and, and work walks and get on base is really understated, I think, in the grand scheme of things. So when you have your, your pitchers coming back and you need your offensive production through the line, I mean, Mike Schultz talks about it a lot. Your outfield offensive production is very important. Bader had a fantastic July. Now it's up to Tyler and Dylan and, and Bader, too, to keep it up and have those three producing regularly. I mean, their defense speaks for itself. They save so many runs by what they do on the field. It's such a bonus that they're able to drive in some on the offensive end. So I think that's huge. Katie, before we let you go, we got to ask you because your good friend Robert Murray, MLB Insider for Fansided, is going to join us on the 12 o'clock hour. Anything that you would like us to let him know? Um, you know what? Why don't you guys just ask him what his favorite food is? And I, actually, you know what? I take it back. I want you guys to think of the most common food possible. 
that like everybody likes and ask if he's had it before. Oh, I can already tell you. Just just see that. I can already tell you this is going to be a fun start to the interview. Katie, we always appreciate the time. Enjoy Pittsburgh, and we look forward to seeing you back in St. Louis next week for the series against Milwaukee. Thanks so much, guys. We'll talk next week. There you go. That's Katie Wu, athletic insider for the Cardinals. You can follow her on Twitter at Katie J. Wu. And make sure you, of course, are subscribing to The Athletic. Phenomenal work from Katie as well as Jeremy Rutherford on the Blues side. Tyler O'Neill thing's interesting. We're going to get into that coming up in just a bit. But, you know, Mike Schilt has talked about the importance of production from the outfield. Bader looks like he's dropped off a bit, which I know fans are going to be like, oh, surprise, surprise, right? Because that might be a BKO. BKO. I know we're going to have to get into that tomorrow. But you might just need committee helping out there. Bader was July. You need both one in August, maybe one or both in September. You might not. It might be too much to ask for all to be clicking at the same time. But if you can get one or two that are just performing at an outstanding level, I think that fixes the offense an awful lot. Yeah, it definitely helps if you get one or two clicking. I feel like Bader's going to have to play at a pretty high level. He can't go through another cold spell, which he did for the Cardinals to be successful. Especially because Paul DeYoung's doing that as well at the yeah, bottom of the lineup. So one of those two has to kind of get clicking so the bottom of the lineup is a little bit effective. You got Yachty in that five hole, and he's played pretty well of late. Not hitting for power, but he's still hitting the ball, getting on base. That's why I think it's either Bader, DeYoung. If you want to throw Edmund into that conversation too, one of those three guys have to really get going for this offense to kind of take that next step for this playoff push. Well, we'll talk about Carlson and O'Neill coming up in about 15 minutes or so, but the Air Comfort Service text line is 65780. Questions and answers is next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. We'll talk Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson coming up in our next segment. If they're on fire, then who else needs to step up for the Cardinals in this playoff push? But for now, we'll take some of your questions at the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. Tanner Hendricks and Andrew Marsh, Alex Ferrario with you today. BK will be back with us tomorrow. We, we think. Well, yeah, we do think. He might BKO his trip back home. You never know with this. Uh, this is a good one, T-Bone. From the 314... Who to, the, who to the three Cardinals outfielders are the most valuable for the Cardinals' future? So of the three outfielders, who's the most valuable for the Cards' future? Oh, that is a good one. I know. That's why I said this is a good one. <laughs> I didn't lie. Well, I, I thought maybe it was one of those where, you know, just a little boost for the texture. Oh, I would never. Uh, so the two of the of the three outfielders, two that are the most valuable. I, I think number one is Dylan Carlson. Yeah, I, say, I think it's obvious because mm-hmm. Dylan Carlson is just so young and he's going to continue to grow. I think he's like top five or may even lead Major League Baseball in innings played, and that's impressive because of a rookie. And he hasn't had a rookie drop off. Now he's gone up and down a little bit, but that's kind of what I expected in his first year. The second one I would say is. I think it's Tyler O'Neill. Harrison Bader's probably right behind him, though, just because Tyler O'Neill is kind of that five-tool player. He's got the speed. He can play good defense. He's got the power. He can. He's now starting to hit for average more. He gets on base at a good clip now. So I think he's more valuable than Bader just because he can play offensively. Bader's defense keeps him close in that conversation, though, in my opinion. Yeah, that's where I'm at on this one, too. Uh, Dylan Carlson is the number one. Like He has to come into his own in terms of leadoff hitter, number two hole hitter. Like That's where I feel like his future is going to dictate 
with this Cardinals order, especially with Goldschmidt and Arenado, and if they go into the free agent market this upcoming offseason. So you need Dylan Carlson to be one of the premier leadoff or two-hole hitters, and I think he is the most valuable and important one of their outfield future. And then the next one is Tyler O'Neill. I think Bader's number three on this list, which is going to be to the shame of Her- uh, BK, because, yeah, of course, don't, don't, he don't loves Harrison Bader. But look, Tyler O'Neill is your next year's five-hole hitter, in my opinion. But you got to go out there and find somebody who can hit in the top two with Dylan Carlson so you can push Goldschmidt and Arenado back. Tyler O'Neill is your five-hole hitter. So I think that's where the importance is going to come in uh, for this Cardinals team. I think you need him to be the most important, especially with all the other guys that the Cardinals have shipped off. You need him to step up and be that player that the front office thought he yeah. would be. And we're seeing signs of that. So it's they're, they're going in a good direction. Yeah, I agree with you. From the 217, will signing an elite shortstop this offseason put the Cardinals ahead of the Brewers and Reds in 2022? I'm going to say no. I just think there's you got to have more Cardinals than hater. just a shortstop. I'm not a Cardinals hater. You know I'm a big fan. Uh, I just <laughs> I just think you have to solidify the bullpen a little bit. To me, you still have to add depth to starting pitching because we've seen what happens if you have injury rattled. Uh, injury rattled. Riddled. Riddled. Thank you. No rattled. Rattled. If you, you have an injury riddled. rattled He's season. Rattled now. Yeah, he. And Marshy with the dad joke. Ah, <laughs> oh, that Marsh. Uh, so. <laughs> But if you have an injury season again with your pitching, then things become a big question mark. So I think you have to add to the bullpen, maybe two arms to the pin, a starter. You need a bench bat. The Brewers have the pitching. The Reds need pitching. So I think it would propel you over the Reds. I just don't know if you can propel past the Brewers by adding just an elite shortstop. Yeah, I think you're better with an elite shortstop. And look, this is... This is pending the health of Dakota Hudson. Like if everything were to stay the same for next season, players were back, but the only upgrade is an elite shortstop. Hudson's healthy. Michaelis is healthy. Flaherty's healthy. You don't really do anything to your bullpen, but they're healthy. I would say you're on the same tier as Milwaukee and Cincinnati. I don't think you're better than them because I think you need a couple of more upgrades. But I'd put you on the same tier as Milwaukee and Cincinnati because, look, if you're healthy, I like your rotation. I like the look of it. Hudson, Flaherty, Michaelis, you put Wayno back in there, and then Reyes, somebody else is going to get that fifth spot. Your bullpen, if healthy, Jordan Hicks, Giovanni Gallegos, if Reyes doesn't go into the rotation, you get a pretty darn good-looking foursome in your bullpen. You add an elite bat. I know. You add an elite bat at shortstop. Let's just say for hypothetical purposes, you add Trevor Story. You're on the same level, in my opinion, as Milwaukee and Cincinnati in the NL Central. Yeah, I I can see that. I just think you're right behind Milwaukee because, and they're going to have the same question marks heading into next season too. Is our starting pitching going to be as good as it was last year? My biggest thing with the pitching is I don't want to rely on depth again. I don't want to go into next season saying, oh, ideally when they're healthy, we've got this and we think it's going to be great because that's what they did this offseason and look at what happened. To me, you have to add another starter. And I'm not saying go spend $30 million on a Max Scherzer. That'd be nice, but they're not going to do that. Yeah. Go get a guy for 5 to $10 million that can kind of solidify that 4-5 or five spot. Maybe you put Reyes back in the bullpen again. I... That way, the bullpen remains a lead if you have Jordan Hicks come back and he's healthy. To me, there's just too many question marks to not add another pitcher to that rotation. Hicks might be in your rotation, too, from everything that we've been hearing people talk about. Um, Along with Reyes, you might have some internal competition. Uh, From the 636 Air Comfort Service text line 65780, questions and answers. Uh, I appreciate this. Alex, how's the baby girl doing? What a nice question. Boys, we're, we're we're in a pickle. The missus and I are in a pickle. 
This baby, who is now five months old, a little over five months, she has hit the phase where not sleeping through the night anymore. No. Now, so everyone, sleep is overrated. I know, now, everyone asked for so long, you know, how's she doing? She giving you guys sleep? Look, we, I tried not to brag about it because I didn't want to AKO it, but she was sleeping through the night nonstop. But now, like the last month, we have been in this phase where she'll wake up at about 2.30. She'll go back to sleep after we feed her. She wakes up at about 7, feed her, goes back. There's no more sleeping through the night. So if anybody's a parent out there listening and has advice for me and the missus to get some consistent sleep through the night, I would much appreciate it because when hockey season rolls around and that baby's waking up at 2, 3 in the morning, woof. I'm not going to be a pleasant person to be around. Hey, props to you, though. I mean, you come in here, you got a little bit of energy. You don't look like you, you know, you haven't slept. Well, it's the coffee. I would I would say maybe, and this is tough. Don't say NyQuil because that's not how no, this works, Marshy. I, I was going to say maybe maybe alter your sleep schedule a little bit. Maybe you're rolling with seven hours. You go to bed at, or maybe six hours, get a nap throughout the day. But, you know, go to bed at three. You can stay up. Go to bed at three? A.M.? Yeah, then you wake up at nine. No. Come in, do your thing. Someone said, don't have any more kids. Well, you could just never sleep that's again. That's a good text, text line. Well, someone also said cocaine. No, I will not oh, do that's that. That's not a good one. That's not how you get it through. Not much you can do. So they asked if she's eating cereal yet. No, not yet. Um, we're going to get to that next month, so hopefully that will help here. But I appreciate it. Keep sending the advice into the Air Comfort Service text line. Marshy, I don't like that idea going to bed at 3 a.m. But hey, why not, right? Hey, I'm here. Give That's true. Marshy will come over and help out with the baby. Appreciate the text messages. When we come back, we are going to dive in. Tyler O'Neill, Dylan Carlson, they are starting to heat up. Bro, Neil. But who? You got to get the name right. Come on. But who? Does that fall on now that needs to take that next step for this Cardinals push to actually happen? We'll get into that next here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Curveball in the air. Left center, well hit. Taylor back at the wall. Gone! Lead off homer, Dylan Carlson. 3-1 into center. Dyson back, gone! Home run to dead center field. Tyler O'Neill, and it's 3 to nothing, Cardinals. Well, you're getting offense from those two right now, and honestly, that was critical for this Cardinals team. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, Andrew Marsham, Alex Ferrario. Cardinals, after winning the series against the Kansas City Royals, and in that series, Tyler O'Neill was huge, along with Dylan Carlson. He led off the game yesterday with a home run. You're starting to see these two guys turn around now, T-Bone. If you look at the numbers for Tyler O'Neill in the month of August, which I know it's a short sample size, but still, you got seven games under your belt, 23 at-bats. My man's hitting 478 with a slash line of 586, 696, and an OPS of over 1,000. 1,200 to be exact. Dylan Carlson in August, same amount of at-bats, 321 slash line of 375, 536, and a 911 OPS. So you got two guys that are performing right now. You also look at the rest of the lineup, which we've done a lot this season, and said, okay, well, these guys are doing something. Who's next? But for right now... Who's next? Well, I don't know who's next. I think that's that's part of the conversation here. But for right Uh, now, you do have to look at the fact, and this is what Katie Wujol told us uh, at 1130... You need your offense from some combination of the outfielders, and right now you're getting it from those two. 
Yeah, and you, that's going to be important because we've seen when the outfield kind of clicks, the team kind of plays well. Let's not forget when Bader was going on that run, you had Tyler O'Neill. He was at the back end of his hot streak, but the team was playing pretty well. And it provides a little bit of a spark with those guys in that outfield. But yeah, and the reason you need the some of these outfielders performing well, especially O'Neill and Carlson, is because they're two of those four top hitters for you because you go Carlson, then Goldie Arnato, O'Neill. Well, those two, if they're hitting, that's a good sign. Now you just got to get that middle, those middle guys of Goldie and Arnato going. Yeah, well, on Saturday, if I'm not mistaken, Saturday or was it yesterday where the bottom of the order got on base five or six times for you? There were some walks in there, some hits, and that was a combination of Harrison Bader, Tommy Edmond, and Paul DeYoung. So, look, you're not going to get that on a consistent basis. But you can tie the Cardinals' struggles in the month of July to the struggles of Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson. Now, I can also say that for probably five or six other names, and it would make sense. But look at the numbers of Tyler O'Neill and Carlson in July. 239 batting average, an OPS of 669. Dylan Carlson, an OPS of 687, a 202 batting average. So, and again, you can look at July and think, okay, well, Nolan Arenado struggled that month. You know, you also had no push from Paul DeYoung or Tommy Edmond. Harrison Bader was hot in July. But those two guys, I mean, when they have been successful, the offense has kind of followed with that. But without them, you need help from others. And I think that's where it comes down to. And right now, I'd say, T-Bone, you're looking at two names. If they can be if they could be in the mix with Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson, in my opinion, it comes down to Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. Yeah, and if Goldie and Arenado, and, and let's just put this out there, all four guys don't have to be just tearing the cover off the ball. They it's have unrealistic. To, it's unrealistic. You just need two of them to be playing really well and then you need one if not both to just be playing kind of where we kind of expect them to be because you look at the numbers for Nolan Arnato and again it's a small sample size so I'm not going to be saying oh Nolan Arnato struggling this month but he's not hitting as well he's got I think his OPS is it's at 731 he's slugging well he's not getting on base as much he's hitting 214 well with him batting third in that order Carlson's getting on base at this point now you need Goldie to kind of help move Carlson over and Goldie's been driving in runs He's just not hitting for as much pop, 707 OPS so far for him this month. He's hitting for average. If you can just get those two, again, they don't have to be tearing the cover off the ball, but if they play decent, kind of what Goldie's doing now, and then if you get Arnauto doing the same thing, hitting for average, also got a little bit of pop, then this team is going to make those next strides because you've got four guys that are tough to get out. And then the biggest thing for me is it comes down to whoever's hitting fifth. And that is a big, that's been a big problem for the Cardinals this season. That fifth spot, I was shocked to see this when I was looking this up last night. That fifth spot, if you look at the slash line, the slash line is not very good. 227 average, 288 on base, 376 slug, 664 OPS. All four of those are worse sounds in the identical. Cardinal spot. I was saying, that sounds identical to like what we just said July was for Tyler O'Neill and Dylan yeah. Carlson. That is worst. That is the worst spot in the Cardinals lineup in all those statistical categories. And you can't have that, especially with you've got Goldie and Arnato in front of that spot, now Tyler O'Neill because he hits fourth. If those guys are playing well, someone in that fifth spot has to step up. And I think that guy's going to come down to Yadier Molina. Which is scary because you, it, it's it's just not fair to Yadi to expect him to be a five-hole hitter. Like, Yadi, that might be overperforming for Yadi, And that's no shot at him. I mean, the man's 40 years old. Like, Yadi's a perfect six- or seven-hole hitter. But the problem is you have five or six of those guys right now. And look, you mentioned it. You got to get the bottom of your order starting to contribute. You don't need them to tear the cover off the ball. You don't need them to be the Dodgers six, seven, eight, nine in your batting order. But you do need a little consistency from them because if they're getting on base, then that puts more ducks on the pond for your top four. 
But I am with you, T-Bone. It comes down to the five hole. Like, that's kind of the swing spot right now in this batting order. In my opinion, that's Tyler O'Neill's spot. Tyler O'Neill is the prototypical five-hole hitter. He's not a cleanup hitter. He's not a three-hole hitter. He's not a top two. He's a five-hole hitter. He's the guy that's going to give you power with guys on base. He's going to get on base occasionally, but he's also possibly going to strike out. That's a five-hole hitter for you. But the problem is you have no other bats that can perform in the top two. Paul Goldschmidt's your two-hole hitter, which is fine right now, but Nolan Arenado should be hitting in the cleanup spot. Somebody needs to be hitting in two or three right now. So... For this season, and I think this goes into the argument of you need a power bat or a, a, one of the elite players that are in the offseason next year, but for the time being, you need somebody to overperform expectations. I don't think it's going to be Paul DeYoung. Tommy Edmond has spurts, but it seems like that's only one-sided of the conversation. So it comes down to Bader or Yadi or Molina. And unfortunately, I think that's unfair to Yachty, and I don't know if Bader's that option. Yeah, and this is kind of the role that we saw Paul DeYoung filling heading into this season. Was the guy Who's the guy that's going to play well and hit behind whoever's hitting cleanup? At the time, we thought it was going to be Nolan Arnato because you thought Carlson Edmond are the one to Goldie Arnato. But now it's become who's behind Tyler O'Neill, And that that's why Paul DeYoung was so important for me on my list. Now, again, I thought he was hitting cleanup or fifth behind those guys yeah, of Arnato. He was Arnotto. number one on your list. I know, and the reason for this is because we talked to Mark Reynolds in the offseason, the, I think it was the day after they acquired Nolan Arnato. and he said, when you hit behind Arnato and Goldie, you're going to have to be ready because those guys are going to be on base, and you're going to have to take advantage of it. And the Cardinals just haven't taken advantage of it. I mean, those guys are playing well. Goldie and Arnato, not having career years, but they're playing really good, kind of what you expected from these guys. You're just not getting someone that can be behind them and drive them in. Tyler O'Neill's done a pretty good job of it cleanup. Then it comes down to who's behind him that's going to contribute, and you just haven't got that one guy to do it this year. And to me, you're just going to have to ride whoever's hot. If Bader's tearing the cover off the ball, it's him. If it's Yadier or Molina, you put him there. And Yadier, honestly, I kind of like at that five spot because if those guys are on pace, Yadier's not hitting for power, but Yachty's he doesn't clutch. have to. He's clutch. He yeah. doesn't have to hit for power. If Paul DeYoung gets hot, then maybe you slide him up there into that fifth spot to provide some power. So it's just going to have to be this rotating door. But you're right. Someone has to step up for this team to make that push. But I think that's the problem, too, though. Like, if you had a five-hole hitter who could clean up some of the mess in there, then Yachty's your six-hole who's a clutch hitter. And even if guys are still on base, Yachty's going to come through, and then you get to the bottom of your order. And look, that's why, I mean, we've had the argument of, oh, well, they're only one person away. They're one bat away from being a serious contender. There are other areas you have to fill. You got to fix the bullpen. You got to get guys who can throw strikes. And I heard Danny Mack say that with Randy this morning on Carriker and Smallman. You got to get guys who can throw strikes. You got to get guys so you're not re- relying on Johan Oviedo to step in and learn in the middle of a season when your pitching depth goes down. But that's all kind of secondary, in my opinion you got to find a way to fix this batting order. And I think Tommy Edmond has shown his colors of not being a leadoff hitter. Dylan Carlson looks like he's slated to be that leadoff hitter, and Katie said that she loves him there. You and I were talking in the office before the show. Paul Goldschmidt might be a prototypical two-hole hitter for you. Then you need somebody in that 3-4 slot so you can move Tyler O'Neill down, shift other guys back in the order, and that's where the offseason duties are going to come into play because I just don't think you can sit here anymore and say, well, Paul DeYoung can get there, or Tommy Edmond can be our leadoff hitter and Dylan Carlson can slide down. I think you've found that out over these last couple of seasons. Yeah, and I think adding that one big bat, whoever that is, it's it's, our, it's the conversation we've had for, it feels like, the last couple of years is where you just have a bunch of guys that – they're they're good offensively. You don't mind them having them having them in your lineup, but you don't have them in the right spot because you can't put them in the right spot. You get a big bat. 
You shift Tyler O'Neill down, who I think's been fine cleanup wise, but he's probably a typical five hitter in my opinion. I'm with you. So you slide him down. He fits better into his spot. Yachty, clutch in that sixth spot looks better. Edmund at the bottom of your order with Harrison Bader, two guys with some speed that when they're hot, they're playing really well. When they're not, they're good to have out there because they're good defensively. Then that whole lineup starts to get that depth that we've talked about that we just feel like we haven't seen all of this year. My guy's smooth from the 314. I like this text. Further proof that the decline of Paul DeYoung's hurting this lineup. DeYoung would be a perfect five-hole hitter. You know what? Let's ask Robert Murray a fan side of this. Let's get a national perspective on the Cardinals, their push this season, but also why they weren't in the market and the trade deadline for one of those big names, and if that means they could be in the offseason. Robert Murray, a fan-sided MLB insider, he joins us next here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Not sure if you saw the massive contracts that are being handed out around the National Hockey League in terms of defensemen over these last few weeks. We're going to get into that and how that might tie into what Colton Pareko's contract is going to look like coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But now let's continue the baseball conversation and welcome in Robert Murray, fan-sided or fan-sided MLB insider, national baseball columnist. You can follow him on Twitter at by Robert Murray. Robert, we appreciate the time and we've already had your good friend Katie Wu come on and gave you glare review so we're excited to chat with you how are you can you hear me robert yeah loud and clear can you hear me there we go yeah we got you now no i was just saying we had katie on earlier today and she gave you glaring reviews so uh she said that we should have high expectations for you well let katie know that the paycheck is in the mail and that uh <laughs> that i appreciate her we tell that to her all the time we always appreciate her time and we appreciate you hopping on with us as well robert we're about uh, 10 days removed now from uh the mlb trade deadline and we saw a massive amount of movement over that uh, time period we saw trey turner and max scherzer go to the dodgers saw a couple of other big bats that were transitioned around what did you make of just those teams kind of wheeling and dealing and and the teams that were aggressive compared to the Cardinals who were just stagnant. Yeah. Like you, when you look at the deadline, you have to really look at the teams that were sellers and the Washington nationals and the Chicago Cubs really stood out with, with how aggressively they sold. And this was a buyer's market. There was a lot of different teams who were looking around and the Dodgers took advantage of it by getting Max Scherzer and, uh, and, and Trey Turner. And it makes them infinitely better when their roster was already filled with MVPs. It's, the Dodgers are now the clear favorite in in the National League. I think that's no secret at this point. And when you look at a team like the Cardinals, I'm not surprised that they ended up adding pitching because that was that was their main focus. But it kind of surprised me with what pitchers they added. I thought it was they were going to go in a bit of a different direction than John Lester and Jay Happ. But at the end of the day, there really wasn't that many options available for them to look at, and they weren't really looking at the high end of starting pitching market either. Well, you, you mentioned how they had some options on the market. I, I'm curious, were you a little bit surprised to see the Cardinals not get in on some of the relievers that were available? Because we had heard about it being a high price, and then we saw some uh, 15 to 30 range top prospects from teams being sent out. Were you a little surprised to see the Cardinals not add any uh, help to the bullpen? Yeah, I thought that was going to end up being something that the Cardinals and maybe some other teams looked at. With the starting pitching market being so weak, Like it was top-heavy for there was two or three starting pitchers who were really good, and then it just fell off. I thought there's some teams that would look to end up like stockpiling their bullpen and maybe add a couple arms. I know the Brewers did it, and, and there's a couple other teams who did as well. But I didn't think the Cardinals would be aggressive buyers, and I didn't 
think that they would end up making a move like that unless it made real sense for them. And they weren't willing to give up any of their top guys. Um, but there was some other relievers available who did not end up going for much that I thought the Cardinals could have could have ended up pursuing. So I was kind of surprised that they weren't in on that. Um, but they just want to build for the future. And adding a reliever now um, would kind of limit what they can do in the offseason when there's going to be more options available. And they just wanted to maintain that flexibility. But, yeah, I thought – Maybe they'd add one, but at the end of the day, they did not. We're talking with Robert Murray, fan-sided national baseball columnist, MLB insider as well. You know, speaking of the offseason, Robert, I think that's what sets up the intrigue for the Cardinals because I don't think anybody expected them to be in that massive trade for Trey Turner and for Max Scherzer. You know, they weren't going to go acquire Javier Baez from the Chicago Cubs because they do have Paul Young. But Paul DeYoung's struggles kind of sets up the the intrigue of, are the Cardinals going to invest this offseason into one of those big bats that are the shortstops? Yeah, this offseason, it's it's basically the winner of the shortstop. And there's five of these guys that are really good that are going to be available. I think the Cardinals will poke around, but I don't expect them to add a guy like that because they have two really big contracts on the roster right now in Nolan Arenado and Paul, Paul Goldschmidt. And I would expect them to try to add a starting pitcher or a high-end starting pitcher um, more so than a shortstop. I, I could see, like, I, I mentioned when I was last on the show that Shane Bieber could be an option. Yeah. And, like, I, I, I still think he could be an off-season trade candidate. I would have imagined it end up being more likely that they can end up doing something or that Bieber would end up being dealt in the middle of next season if he is dealt at all. But, like he's going to be one of the many guys that the Cardinals look at um, for starting pitchers, but I would expect them to end up looking for a starter as opposed, or they would prefer to add a starter more so than a shortstop. Um, But if you're the Cardinals and you have a need at shortstop, you're going to be hard pressed not to look at at those options available because they're just too good. But adding a guy that's going to make two to $300 million might be tough for them to do. I'm curious, you mentioned making the trade for Shane Bieber. Do you, do you think the Cardinals, when they're looking for starting pitching this offseason, do you think they're going to look more at the trade market rather than free agency because the free agent class is a little bit thin, and also the Cardinals have had some bad contracts handed out to pitching in the past. Do you, do you think they look more at the trade route if they're going to upgrade with the starting pitching? Yeah, I would expect them to look at both avenues. And as you said, the free agent starting pitching market next year is pretty weak. Um, so they're going to have to get pretty creative. And I mentioned Bieber, and, and I don't know if the Cardinals are going to be interested in him or not. That's just a guy that I'm, I'm not connecting because I, I think a lot of teams are going to end up looking at him, um, just, just to be clear on that. But I, I, w- I would expect the Cardinals to probably look toward the trade market more, although that being said, it would be tough for them because they've indicated in trade talks with all these teams that they're not willing to trade any of their top prospects. Um and getting a guy like Bieber or any high-end starter over Trey is going to require them to part with those kind of pieces. And I just can't see them doing that unless the deal is too good to be true because they didn't even do that for Nolan Arenado. Um, and that's like they would probably prefer – like they, the best option available for them would probably be over trade. But if we're looking at what the more realistic option is, it's probably going to end up being free agency. And you could also look at a team like the Giants who have a really good rotation right now. And all of their starters, for the most part, are going to be free agents at the end of the year. And they're probably not going to cost too much, uh, with the exception of Kevin Gosman. So you could look there for some value adds, but 
They're going to explore both. I think free agency is more likely, but they're going to have to explore the trade market as well. So, Robert, I'm curious on the Paul DeYoung side of this, and I know you're you're a national insider, so you're not paying attention to the Cardinals every single game, but the struggles of Paul DeYoung this season kind of compared to what the struggles have been the last couple of years, and the Cardinals were hoping he was going to be that middle-of-the-order bat, and if they're not diving into that market in terms of the expensive shortstops, does that mean that they're probably slated to just stick with Paul DeYoung since he's so team-friendly? Yeah, I, I like, I've I've paid attention to what the young has done, um, and it's not what they expected at all. Um, they thought that the addition of Arenado would end up taking the pressure off of the young and these other guys, and they allow allow them to perform at a higher level, and that's not been the case. So I don't think them being unlikely to get one of those top shortstops means that the young is going to end up being the guy. I would imagine they're going to end up bringing in competition at some level. Uh, or in some capacity. I don't know exactly how they're going to do it, but they they need to upgrade that lineup because what this what this team right now is, a lot of the the public talk right now surrounds the rotation and how, how bad it's been since Flaherty's been out, but that lineup is really underperformed, and they're going to need to upgrade shortstop, and they're going to need to upgrade other positions as well. But the young, they gave them a chance, and they're going to need to upgrade because – they need to maximize this window with, with Goldschmidt and Arenado, and the guys around them have simply not gotten the job done. So while the young is probably going to enter the offseason as the, the starter, I don't know if he ends the offseason as a starter, though. Well, Robert, you mentioned maximizing that window for the Cardinals, and you, we've talked about now Paul DeYoung in the shortstop market. We've talked about adding to the starting rotation possibly. We even mentioned the bullpen miss out possibly at the trade deadline. How many pieces do you think that this Cardinals team is away from legitimately contending in the National League? I, I don't know if there's a specific number, but I'm pretty confident the Cardinals are, are far away from being able to compete with a team like the Dodgers or the Padres or, or the Giants or the Brewers. Um, they need a lot of help all over the board, and that's why I thought it was really smart of them not to go all in on this season despite some fans wanting them to do so because this team, they need a lot of help and they're not going to end up getting it in one trade deadline. It's it's going to end up being a very lengthy process for the front office there, and it's not going to take one or two moves. They thought that Arenado move was going to was was going to mask a lot of problems, and in reality, it's kind of probably open up their eyes to just how many issues there are with this lineup and um, and the rotation now. And um, so, as I said, I don't think there's a specific number, but the Cardinals they need a lot of help. Um, both in the lineup, in the rotation, and even in the bullpen too, because they've talked about moving Jordan Hicks or uh, Alex Reyes to the to the rotation. So it's gonna it's gonna take a lot of work. It's probably gonna take a lot of financial resources as well. But thankfully for them, they have some of these top prospects who are getting closer to coming up to the major leagues. And that's where I was going to go next with that, Robert, kind of as a follow-up, because, you know, with that mindset, is this more looking at you're waiting for these prospects to contribute within the next couple of years to put them back into the contending conversation? Or are the prospects tied into also being spenders in free agency or on the trade market to kind of put them back into contention? Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Is it's going to end up being these prospects, and then also adding outside pieces and, and blending them together. And and maybe if you add a a piece at second base, it doesn't block Nolan Gorman from coming up next year and, and taking a prominent role there. Or it's it's adding a starting pitcher who won't block uh, Matthew Libert. Or um, like there's they need to add pieces throughout this this roster 
that are in free agency or trade that are impact players that don't block their top prospects so that they can coincide and end up helping them try to catch these other teams in the National League. And it's not getting easy, especially uh, with the Dodgers getting Trey Turner and, and Max Scherzer. Like, Scherzer's a free agent at the end of the year, but Turner's signed for next year as well. Um, and they added an MVP caliber player who actually there's some people who believe that Turner is the favorite to win MVP this year uh, to a lineup that is absolutely stacked. Um, so catching the Dodgers is going to be extremely difficult. The Giants are looking like a, a very good team. Padres are have a very good roster as well, although a little bit flawed. And then if you like, if you look at the Brewers too, um, what they've been able to do and the pieces they added at the deadline, like this team is not going away either. And the Cardinals, they want to build a sustainable winner um, and adding pieces to this team and allowing those prospects to come up and play right away next year is ultimately going to be the best way for them to be able to catch these, these teams. Final one for you, Robert, and I kind of have an idea of what your answer is going to be to this, but the Cardinals seem like they're still in this race mathematically for the playoffs this year. But how do you view this team in terms of getting into the playoffs this season? Um, like you can never say never. I think the fan graphs odds are what? One and a half percent. Yeah. It's, I mean, so you're saying there's a chance, um, <laughs> but, uh, I, I would not get my hopes up. I think the Cardinals, they, they're too far back at this point. And obviously getting Jack Flaherty back is going to help. Um, and, and there's going to be some other pieces who return as well off the injured list, but, um, it, it's going to, it's going to be a very difficult task. Uh, they have a, a, favorable schedule and, and they've needed to get these sweeps and win series and they've not been able to do that um and like yesterday's game was a perfect example where they had the prime opportunity to get the sweep over the royals and they weren't able to do so um but I, i'm i'm not optimistic i think that's the nicest way for me to put it and um, but I, I'll never rule any team out unless they're mathematically eliminated. Yeah, I'm with you. Robert Murray, we always appreciate you coming on here, BK and Ferrario with us. Apologies that BK decided to take vacation when we got you scheduled, but we look forward to chatting with you again real soon, buddy. Awesome. Take care. I appreciate you guys. There you go. Robert Murray of Fanside, a national baseball columnist, also MLB insider. That's going to be a topic for us to get into tomorrow, I think, of him talking about how like they're not a piece or two away they're they're a, they're a while away from being back into that contending conversation and you might be tied tying this into the prospects taking that next step to help you or spending via free agency but i mean robert doesn't seem very very keen on that side i mean like i i don't want to call it a, a blow up and rebuild because that's not what this is when you have jack flaherty and nolan arenado and paul goldschmidt but i do think you have to kind of toe the line with what the Nashville Predators called themselves this offseason in terms of a competitive rebuild. I think that might be in the territory of where the Cardinals are at right now. Yeah, that was kind of eye-opening for me, and I I think we could kind of see it when we talk about, well, what do they need? Well, they need two of these guys. They need a rotation We had five, wasn't it? We had five, and that's what Jim Bowden said, too, when he was with us before the trade deadline, and I'm with him, too. That's why it didn't make sense to go be aggressive and go be buyers at this trade deadline. But it is something that is going to be eye-opening for the front office. And I think it starts to raise the question of how realistic is it for the Cardinals to kind of fix those problems in just this offseason? Because we're talking about five different areas that they need. We're talking about prospects coming up and $60 million coming off the books. I don't think they're going to spend over the $60 million. Maybe they'll spend up to the $60 million. But can you fix all of your problems realistically in no. just this offseason? I mean, we're talking about potentially 
two years before we fill those holes? Well, and you're not like the Yankees where you're going to spend $60 million in one offseason and say, okay, we've upgraded because you're tying yourselves into bad contracts. So, I don't know. It's an interesting perspective that we're going to get into tomorrow a lot more, but I always appreciate Robert Murray on it. And if you missed that, you can check it out on the podcast after the show today, 101ESPN.com, or just search BK and Ferrario. Thank you to our friends uh, over at I Promise. We'll, we'll take a break. When we come back, I don't know if you've been seeing the amount of money that the defensemen have been getting paid this offseason, but it does tie into what's going to happen with Colton Pareko. And I also think Doug Armstrong might be a smart man once again. I mean, that's uncommon knowledge. But I think he hit the ball out of the park here with what he did with a couple of other guys. So we'll dive into that next here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Got a lot of text messages from Robert Murray in the previous segment from the 618. Does it it concern you guys that the Cardinals front office says they look for 2022 to be their year, but Robert says they're far off? We're going to get back into that about 115 because I do think that's a intriguing element um, in, in terms of how the Cardinals approach these next couple of seasons. So stay tuned for that around 1.15. We'll get to the junk drawer in about 10 minutes or so. But now I wanted to talk about some of these defenseman contracts in the NHL. I don't know if you guys were paying attention to this over the last couple of days, but I think it's a necessary conversation because this ties into what Colton Pareko is going to be getting paid this next offseason. He's a UFA after this year. Of course, Doug Armstrong has called him the alpha dog. Now, I know a lot of people say, well, he didn't look like it last year. If he was dealing with the back situation, which the reports from Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic were, he's not 100%. You got to hope he's 100% this year because you need him if you want to be competitive in the Central Division. But over these last couple of weeks, here's what these contract extensions and signings looked like. Kale McCarr got a six-year deal with Colorado, $9 million per year. Expected because he's one of the best defensemen, if not the best defenseman in terms of offensive defensemen in the National Hockey League. Miro Haskinen from Dallas, eight years, 8.45 mil. Then you go to the contract extensions. Dougie Hamilton signed for seven-year, $9 million deal. Zach Wierenski, six-year, $9.6 million deal. Seth Jones, eight years, nine and a half. Darnell Nurse, eight years, 9.25. My first thought is, why the hell are all of these defensemen getting eight, nine million dollars right now? Because, and a lot of people might not agree with me on this one, T-Bone, but Darnell Nurse from the Edmonton Oilers, great defenseman, is not a $9.25 million defenseman. Zach Warinsky, who's a good defenseman from the Columbus Blue Jackets, is not a nine. He's almost making the same amount of money that Duncan Keith is making with the Chicago Blackhawks now with the Edmonton Oilers. You know how many playoff series Zach Warinsky has won with the Columbus Blue Jackets as a top defenseman? I mean, they haven't been good for a while, so I'll say I'll, I'll say one because one. they beat the Lightning. They beat Tampa. And, that was, and that was when they had a lot of other good players on that roster. So look, I understand. Zach Warinsky's 24 years old. Darnell Nurse is 26. Seth Jones is 26. You got a lot of young defensemen. But Colton Pareko is 28 years old. And Colton Pareko, in my opinion, when healthy, is better than all three of those defensemen. So if this is what these guys are getting paid, just be aware that Colton Pareko is looking at this going, okay, $8 million, $9 million. I'm going to take note for this upcoming offseason. And if that's the case, 
boy, you are treading with some dangerous water there because I don't know if you can afford to pay another defenseman over seven or eight million dollars. Yeah, I, I think it would be very tough for the Blues to pay for another defenseman over even the six point five range because that's what Tory Krug and Justin Falk are sitting at right now, and you've got them locked up for the next couple of years. It is interesting with this market, how it's playing out, because it is going to be a big factor with Colton Pareko. You bring it up. If those guys are making $8, 9000000 million, why should Pareko not shoot for that ceiling or even right around that ceiling? And if you're the Blues, Colton Pareko is, no doubt about it, your best defensive defenseman. Oh, yeah. When healthy. When healthy. Again, last year dealt with a back injury. Honestly, even when not healthy, he's still probably one of your best <laughs> defensemen for how big and fast he is on the ice. Oh, that's kind of a, that's kind of a sad thing to say about the other defensemen then, but... If if that's what it's going to take to sign Colton Preco, you're going to have to make, if you really believe he's going to be your defenseman moving forward and he's that alpha dog, I don't know if the Blues have someone that can fill his role. Justin Falk's not going to do it. Torrey Krug's not going to do it. I don't think any of the prospects that are coming up are going to do it I, I because I don't see uh, Santini being that kind of a defenseman. I don't see Nico Mikola going to fill those kind of shoes and be a Colton Preco. That's why... If that's the market, that's a bad sign for the St. Louis Blues because it becomes very difficult if that's what he pushes for to relock Colton Preco up yeah. after this season. And look, as some people are saying, those guys are, are much more more trying to think of the best way to put it. They're they're much more offensively consistent than what Colton Pareko has been. Yeah, that's true. But look, you got guys on your roster who can be offensive defensemen. That's what Tory Krug was paid for. Justin Falk's gonna get a shot on the power play. You got Perunovic, you got Wallman. These are offensive defensemen. Colton Pareko is a guy who plays 25 minutes a night. Colton Pareko, he's not on this level, and I don't know if he ever will get to this level. Frankly, I know he will never get to this level. But Vic Victor Hedman is one of the best two-way defensemen in the National Hockey League. Look at the trophies he's won with the Tampa Bay Lightning. You know how much money Victor Hedman makes per year? Isn't it like $9, $10 million? No, it's $7.8 million. Oh. And all of those guys that were paid handsomely, are nowhere near Victor Hedman's level. So I do think there's a little bit of difference from desperation because, look, Chicago's desperate for good defensemen, and they paid Seth Jones to be that for them. Columbus is desperate to keep good defensemen. That's why they paid Warinsky. Dougie Hamilton went to New Jersey. He got paid because he's a good defenseman. There's a difference between teams who are trying to be competitive and spending the money on those guys and a team who tries to stay competitive with the players that they have on the roster. I don't think Pareko's going to go into the offseason, even if he has an incredible season, and command $9 million. But I do think he goes into the offseason and says, I'm somewhere between 7 and 8 for my age, my size, my skill, and what these other defensemen are getting paid. You mentioned there about some of these teams, like the Blackhawks, needing to go out and get a defenseman and having to possibly overpay for that guy. Aren't the Blues kind of in a similar spot? Sure, you've got Falk and Krug defensive depth guys, and you've got some depth in your system, but you don't have another Colton Pareko ready to go. Part part of the loss of Petrangelo was that the Blues felt that hey, they had Pareko. Pareko can step into that role. Yeah. I don't know if the Blues can feel the same way about it this year. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe someone takes that next step that I'm not expecting, but I look at the Blues roster with the defensemen that they have right now, and I don't go, all right, if Pareko's either out or if you lose him next season, there's the guy. Now, granted, you could go maybe spend for someone else in free agency, but once again, you get into that bidding war that I'm not sure the Blues would want to be involved in. Right. So that that's my question to you is, is there someone that can fill Pareko's shoes? Can he hold them with leverage heading into next offseason? I think Nico Mikola is viewed as a guy who's, who's a big defenseman who can be a top four. I don't know if they view him as Colton Pareko. But, I mean, you could definitely look at him and say, okay, yeah, he might be somebody in the future for us, but not in terms of if you lose Pareko this season, you don't have that guy. So that's why a lot of this resides on Colton Pareko. But, again, 
you know, Doug Armstrong is Doug Armstrong. So it's not like somebody's going to take him to the bank and say, no, you're going to pay me because he'll move on and try and find somebody else. Now, if you go to the free agent market in terms of defensemen this upcoming season, Colton Pareko is going to be the top guy. Now, you you know, Rasmus Ristolainen is going to be there unless he signs an extension. Got Charlie McAvoy, who's an RFA with Boston. John Klingberg, if he hits the market, is going to get paid. But Colton Pareko is going to be the guy. Um, one other thing that I think this, all of these signings means is I don't know if Doug Armstrong handed out as bad of deals as people make it out to be for Tory Krug and Justin Falk. Mm-hmm. Now, look, at the end of this deal, probably not going to look great because they're seven-year deals and you're looking at guys who are probably going to be 33, 34 years old. They're not going to be worth $6.5 million. But between now and the next three years, you're going to be getting prime form of Justin Falk and Tory Krug, and Falk had that this past season. I do believe Krug will have that this year, one year removed from being a part of a new team. You're paying both of those guys $6.5 million. Like, that's $3 million more combined than what Colorado's paying Kale McCarr. Now, I know is an incredible defenseman, but you handcuff yourself paying a guy $9.5 million, where if you have two guys who can give you... I mean, look, Tory Krug can give you 50 points in a season. Justin Falk was your best defenseman last year. Those are two guys that, in my opinion, are worth $6.5 million, at least for the for the time being. I'm with you, because like you said, they're going to be in their prime. So moving forward, that $6.5 million... It's not as bad as paying a guy $9 million in overspending for him. And again, yeah, the back end of those contracts are going to look, maybe maybe those back end of the contracts aren't going to look pretty, but you kind of expected that when you handed out those contracts because you're in win-now mode. So you expect the next three years you're going to get what you get, and then the back three is kind of what you had to put on the deal to come get them to St. Louis. I'm with you. I think it makes these moves from Army look really smart because Tory Krug and Justin Falk, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't Falk one of the worst contracts Heading into this season. Yeah, someone had that out there that said his was one of the worst contracts. Yeah, so now you look at it and you go, all right, well, if he's $6.5 million, now if he plays average, it doesn't look as bad as if, if a guy that's making $9 million and takes up probably, I don't know, 10%, if not close to 10% of your cap space, if he's not performing, that contract is A, a lot harder to move on from if you have to, and B, makes the signing look a hell of a lot worse. But now the even the... Alex, the Alex Petrangelo contract doesn't even look terrible either. <sighs> Not compared to what, uh, like, I am. None of these guys, there's only one guy that I'm looking at that deserves everything he just got, and it's Kale McCarr, because he he is one of the best defensemen yeah. that we have seen in quite some time. Yeah. I like Miro Haskinen's deal. I mean, 8.45 for eight years, I think that's a decent deal. I, I mean, I think he got kind of what Alex Petrangelo got with Vegas, and Haskinen's younger, he's a number one defenseman, but... I just I can't get on board with Seth Jones making nine and a half million dollars. No, and Darnell Nurse making that much money with the Oilers, who yeah. they have so much money loaded up in four guys. Right. Someone texted and said, "Oh, look at his plus minus. He's a plus thirty five. The guy was playing with Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl. I can't <laughs> yeah. say that I would do that because I'm terrible at hockey." But they might make Marshy look like a plus 35 guy defenseman on the ice They out make there. you a solid yeah. plus 10. No. All you got to do Minus two. is make a breakout pass yeah. and glide up the ice and boom, you, you don't even a need to do a makeout or, or a breakout pass. You literally just dump the puck to center ice and Connor McDavid's off to the races. So wh- whatever it may be, all of this resides on Colton Pareko being good this season. And if he is, he can look for a payday. But I don't know if Doug Armstrong is going to be giving him that. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that one as we move forward. We'll get back into uh, the Cardinals conversation coming up at the top of the hour because T-Bone, Latino Heat, they're back, baby. They're back? They're back, baby. We'll get into that in about 10 minutes or so. But we got the junk drawer next year on 101 ESPN. 
This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Latino Heat is back, baby. Yeah! It's back. They are back. And we're the Where three best friends that anyway. Well, they disappeared there for a couple of games for the Cardinals. We'll get into that coming up in a 10 minutes or so. But let's start with T-Bone, who gave some deep teases into the commercial break of his junk drawer. Yeah, so Friday, uh, two things here on Friday. Oh, you got two junk drawers? Yeah. You just steal them the More show, the man. merrier, man. What the hell? We so, all got stuff to do. <laughs> um... So on the, I think I'm missing out on a trend or something because a lot of trends. so Friday I'm on my way home and I'm on the highway and I see something hanging out of someone's window and I thought maybe it was just an elbow you know got the window down got your elbow out there got your arm on the window it was Halloween season they put those fake arms hanging yeah. out of the trunk <laughs> gets well, me every time it wasn't a fake arm thankfully it was someone's foot they they were driving and they had their foot out the window while they're on the highway how, and how do you do I, that? front seat like a, passenger seat no driver seat. They were driving with their foot out the window. Get the hell out of here. And I'm thinking to myself, hey, there's no shot that I can do that and drive successfully. You're not flexible? And no, no. Was it a woman all. or a man? Uh, I don't know because I, I was so well, you could tell by the you could tell by the foot. I'm pretty sure it was a woman. Oh, there you go. But I, I could I was stunned to see that someone's driving down the highway with their foot outside the window. I'm a little confused by that. Like what what is the purpose of that? Like do your feet smell horrible and you have to keep one out know. the window? Or are you just looking for a chill chill or your you just, feet a little bit? Maybe their car doesn't have AC. Right? And they're yeah, like, well, why hey, you gotta put your foot out there. Well maybe the maybe their feet get hot. Anyways, I, I was stunned A to see it and thought maybe I'm missing out on a trend. You know what you do is you, you speed up. See if you can do it. No, you speed oh. up, you cut them off, and then you slam on your brakes, and you see if they actually have one foot on their brakes still. <laughs> um, look, that's a... Or you cause an accident. Maybe that, you don't that's do a that. terrible move. Maybe that's not the move. That. And now the second thing that I think I'm missing out on, so I went to a concert over the weekend, and at the concert, while the opening band's going on and people are... Uh, you know, you get up, you do a little dance, and sometimes at a concert, you sing along. I've never danced once at a concert in my life, <laughs> okay, but well, okay. Some people do, but... This person had a hula hoop, and they were just swinging around the hula hoop for the whole concert. They didn't slow down at all. Is this a thing? Am I supposed to bring a hula hoop to a concert? I've seen that before. If it's a Nickelback concert, you bring beach balls. Okay, well, a beach ball I can see because you're hitting that around, but you're just going to swing around a hula hoop and get the hips moving so you can... Stop doing that, first of all. Well, I'm just showing you the motion. (laughs) It's about the motion in the ocean. Oh, Oh, God. Yikes. But it... (laughs) New Twitter profile. (laughs) Tanner Hendrickson, wax, wax, and ready to mingle. It's all about the motion in the ocean. That actually might help. Oh my god, I'm gonna get so the hula- Yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say, if he needs any pickup lines, I can help him. He's got a lot of them that he needs right now. I don't know if it'll help him though. The hula hoop thing, I don't get. I really don't get the foot thing. Someone texted in and said, I drive a big truck. You wouldn't believe how many truck drivers I see doing that. Really? It's one thing driving a car doing that, but if you're driving a big rig doing it, come on it, now. How can you feel confident? driving like that because you know you have to buy you like leaned back a little bit someone said uh you only need one foot to drive with that's true uh, yeah i i get it but like why i mean you gotta be flexible man I, like I you're doing the person, splits i think this person saw the same car i did from the 314 holy crap tanner i saw the same thing it was like wtf i it was a guy i know well no, i wasn't a woman driving but driving down 141 i that's not where you were you were in kentucky no i wasn't in kentucky <laughs> 
Now, did they have cruise control on? Because you can well, put cruise control on, too. sit back, relax. Yeah, but again, it was only one foot, though. Yeah. Like, oh, it'd be really difficult if it was two. Well, that's what I'm saying. If it was both feet out the window, okay, I get it. Cruise control. I don't get it well, because what happens if someone... One foot. Well, that's what I'm saying. But how, why? That's not even comfortable. You got one foot down and you have to basically have a right angle with your other leg out the yeah. window. I think we should try it. I... Look, I might I try it. Maybe I'll driving. try it on the way home. You're going to be lying. I know you will if you say that you're not going to go straight to your car when you're done with the show and put your foot yeah, out maybe the we'll, window. Maybe we'll do a video of T-Bone trying to drive like that. Uh, speaking of pain, boys, Wait, there, was some, pain? there was some... Well, I did from the fact that you're doing a split while you're driving. There was some pain given out of the Dodgers game over the weekend. Oh, you no. guys see this video that went viral? So, not a streaker, but somebody who ran onto the field, cut through the infield, and then tried to get through the outfield. Security, like 10 guys chasing uh, chasing him. And it was the ball girl that basically gave him the funky chicken wing and just stiff-armed the guy who flipped head over heels into the crowd. She's getting a promotion. First of all, she deserves a contract. Like, give her $500 million or something like A.J. Pollock gets. He doesn't make that much money. But give her some money. My second question when I'm watching it is, why don't more ball girls or guys do this? Now, I know you're not supposed to get involved with this. This is security's job. But usually security can't catch them on the field, and they disrupt play, and they don't catch them until they get out of the field. But if I got a ball girl or guy that's standing by one of the exits and just thinks, okay, I'm just going to step in the way of you, maybe just put the foot out and trip over. Because you know the guy that's running on the field is looking behind him going like, I don't know if these guys are going to catch me. All I know is it was incredible to watch. I Yeah, and I'm always curious now with the netting that goes across, they're only going to go get into the field in one spot, really. And you'd think that security would have that pretty well locked down. And even some of those spots you can't get on the field because it's kind of a drop-off. Like you look at uh, left field for the Cardinals, for example, pretty good drop-off there from the wall. And then most of the netting cuts off that area. They're not climbing under the netting to get over there. It was insane. I couldn't believe it. So, Qu- question for you: You think you could catch someone if they did that? Yeah, really? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, if you can't hit a softball, you can't tackle oh. a guy. <laughs> Got him. I don't think that's that's not the same thing at all. Hey, yeah. you, didn't, you didn't see Alex the other weekend in right center field. Yeah. Easy on the softball jokes because I haven't seen you hit a ball once. Well, you know, the invitation was there. Well, it's not going to be there because I know you're terrible show you at up. this one. He's Tanner Hendrickson. He is Andrew Marsh. That's my hype guy. I'm going to start bringing Marshy around with me a lot more with this one, hyping me up there. The time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. It's 101. By the way, you can join the 101 Bomberito Street Fleet this Thursday from 630 to 830 over at Cybergs on Gravoy at the Michelob Ultra Putter Challenge. It's free to play indoor golf game where you can score prizes and Michelob Ultra swag. You know you got to get some of that beer swag, T-Bone. Plus, it's your chance to win a trip for two to this year's Ryder Cup. Don't miss out on this this Thursday, 630 to 830 with 101 ESPN at Cybergs on Gravois. Get all the details for the Michelob Ultra Putter Challenge at 101ESPN.com. We'll dive in a little. The Tino Heat, they're back next here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. You know, I like this text message from the 314. 
Does Ferrario tackle Tanner? Do it for the fans and post it on the gram. I think I should actually. He can't catch me. I think I should actually. Because I don't appreciate that disrespect. There's no shot you catch me. Thinking that hitting a softball is the same as tackling somebody. It is. It takes a little bit of athletic ability. I don't think that's true. Not against you. You should be pretty simple. Anyway, boys, it wasn't pretty for uh, Latino Heat against the Atlanta Braves. Yeah, not great. Of course, when I say Latino Heat, I don't mean somebody from Vegas as the 314 references. I do mean Giovanni Gallegos, Genesis Cabrera, and Alex Reyes. That's Adam Wainwright called them Latin Heat. I went with Latino Heat. If you're a wrestling fan, you know Eddie Guerrero, RIP, but he called himself Latino Heat. I'm going with that nickname. I do nicknames really well on the show, team. I don't know if you knew this. I mean, you haven't mastered the line was one yet for the Blues. No, I'm still but. working on those right now. But look, it wasn't pretty against the Atlanta Braves. I, I, I mean, you had Gallegos getting blown up. You had Reyes walking in multiple runs without even getting an out. Genesis Cabrera hadn't been horrible against the Atlanta Braves, but you could tell he was kind of going in and out in terms of arm strength and it dying down, being overused. Whatever it may be, we said on Friday, T-Bone, that if the Cardinals want to make a push, they got to have those guys, and they can't have any more hiccups. Well, they didn't have hiccups over the Kansas City Royals. And I know, save the text messages, the Kansas City Royals are terrible. Of course they were good against them. Whatever it may be, they rebounded, and I think that shows more of the mental strength than it does the physical strength there. Cabrera over the weekend, one inning pitched, a hit, no walks, two strikeouts. Gallegos, an inning, a inning pitched, a clean inning, no hits, no walks, no strikeouts. And then Alex Reyes, two innings, two hits, did give up a run, wasn't an earned run, and had two strikeouts. What's most important to me at that stat line, T-Bone, is the fact that there were no walks given up from those three. Like, I felt like it was a very eye-opening experience against the Braves where it was like, man, we need to clean this stuff up, regardless if they're overused or not. Yeah, and the no walks is the big thing for the bullpen. When the bullpen's not walking guys, they look really good. Uh, and But when they're walking guys, then that's when we start to see those wheels fall off. And I was very curious to see how uh, Alex Reyes responded after having that outing against the Braves because it wasn't like it was just a blown save. I mean, it was a blown save yeah. in some ugly fashion where you walk four straight, you hit a batter, you can't find the zone. I think four of 21 pitches were thrown for strikes. I was very curious to see how he would respond, and he responded, and he looked really good. And same with Giovanni Gallegos. He had been used, and not technically a lot. I mean, it was ending in a third, but he had thrown a lot of pitches in the Brave series. He was used a lot in terms of the amount of pitches that exactly. he threw. Exactly, and he was getting kind of hit around. Even the two outs that he got in that second night uh, were – a hard ground ball to first base that Goldschmidt robbed the guy and then threw him out, and then a deep fly ball to center field. So Deep fly ball to center field. Sorry. That was pretty good. Thanks. But so the contact on Giovanni Gallegos was a little bit telling to me. A lot of pitches. His stuff didn't look as efficient. Hard contact against him. He cleaned that up against the Royals. And, and I think that's a good sign because you want to see those guys bounce back because, as you said, you can't see all three. One of those three guys go through the spell of, all right, I've lost my stuff. i got to find it again and struggle for five, six games because the Cardinals just can't afford to have that occur. Yeah, so look, and it's definitely something to keep an eye on because you are taking on the Pirates and the Royals, so if they continue their success, you know, the excuse of, oh, they're playing a bad team, that makes sense. Let's see what they are against the Milwaukee Brewers, against the, the Dodgers, the Pirates. Well, no, not the Pirates. They're not very oh. good. But anyway, those guys looked great over the weekend. But what also was important over the weekend, B- uh, T-Bone, I almost called you BK. Did you just call me BK? I almost did. It was probably because of those terrible takes you have most of the time. Wow. You also found a supporting cast for the Latino Heat. 
and what I mean by that is, and look, you ready to induct new guys? No, into the circle no, of trust? we're not going to do that. I, I kind of no. felt like you were there for a second. No, we're not going to do that. But because every time those guys come into games, and I'm talking of T.J. McFarland, Justin Miller, um, Luis Garcia. Andrew Miller, Ryan Helsley, although we didn't see Helsley that much over the weekend. Anytime anybody else comes from the bullpen, I do get the tight cheeks. But what I am feeling a little bit more is that after McFarland's outing over the weekend, after Garcia's outings over the weekend, I'm feeling a lot better about other options than just Latino Heat. And I think that's crucial to have guys that Mike Schilt trusts in situations that he doesn't have to go to Cabrera, Gallegos, Reyes. Because we saw that in the Brave series. You had to go to Cabrera, Gallegos, Reyes. Even if you didn't have to go, he went to them. But after McFarland, who went out there and pitched really well over the weekend, what was it, in the last five outings, not just the weekend, six innings of work, four hits, one earned run, four strikeouts, 174 average against McFarland. Garcia, his last five outings, eight and a third, three hits, no earned runs, no walks, which is crucial, eight Ks and 111 batting average against him. If you at least found two more guys in those two, and then you add in Ryan Helsley's name, because sometimes he's good, sometimes he's not, at least you have three other guys that you could go to rather than just having to use the same guys over and over. Yeah, and this kind of goes to, I'll use the game on Friday, for example. So you knew you were going to get seven innings. You get the seven innings from Wainwright, and then someone becomes unavailable. Cabrera's not available. You don't want to go to Gallegos. You didn't feel as comfortable then, did you? Because you had right. you didn't have the big three available. And that's kind of what this factor is. If they have to bridge a gap to get to the big three, then we want someone that we can trust. If one or two of the big three are unavailable, we need someone that we can trust. And so far, all season long, we really haven't had that. Now, again, it's a small sample size, and I've fallen for this trap before with Ryan Helsley when you we put him in the for circle. This trap every time you try and put somebody in the circle. Now, granted, Ryan Helsley is still very good when he comes into an inning with inherited runners. Maybe that's his specialty. Now, McFarlane is a good ground ball pitcher. Maybe that's kind of becoming his specialty. And Luis Garcia is kind of the same. He's got the hard sinker that Mike Schilt talks about. So I think we're starting to see that supporting cast come around. And I'm with you. If you can get the supporting cast, that's going to be very beneficial for the Cardinals because you don't have to burn the big three as constantly. And the more innings that they eat up, the more tired they're going to get in this important playoff push for the Cardinals. So this isn't a circle of trust. So don't think this is a circle of trust. We are not inducting anybody into the circle of trust we'll do today. It tomorrow when no, we will back. not. I'm making is very clear but in terms of those names who do you feel comfortable with right now honestly I feel really comfortable with McFarlane and Garcia the pucker factor still there you know what I'm talking about at first I thought you said something completely different no the pucker factor is still there don't worry Marshy don't hit the dump button but I feel more comfortable with those guys than I do say Helsley because, if look, if Helsley's only good with inherited runners, that stresses me out more than anything. I don't need a guy who's good with inherited runners. I need a guy who can get out of a jam with inherited runners if he's in that scenario. I'm not bringing him in because there's three guys on and one out already. But I'd say after Latino Heat, I'd put TJ McFarland and Luis Garcia right below those two names because they're throwing strikes right now. Yeah, I, I think I'm with you. I, I think I am at the point at which you're not at the circle of trust, but you're kind of in the line waiting to be let in, maybe. Yeah. Of, okay, if we can see just about 
four or five more outings where you look solid, you're not walking guys. And that's been the biggest difference for Garcia. He's got, it looks like he's got his control back. He's pounding the strike zone. McFarland's been very efficient at getting ground balls, and that's that's huge for this Cardinals team. Use your defense. That's what we've talked about. Yeah. Use the defense. Throw strikes. And they're doing that. And they're doing that. And Garcia is actually striking guys out too because his stuff has looked really good of late. I think I'm with you. I think I would put those two there, and then I would have Ryan Helsley kind of right behind those two yeah. just as kind of the specialist. Can he be the guy that continues to get guys out when he comes on and inherits runners? He's done a very good job of that so far this year. Can he continue to do that? And I'd like to see him get a little bit better when he starts an inning clean. Well, something to keep an eye on, and again, I'm making it very clear that we are not inducting anybody into the circle of trust, but... But we're playoff bound. It, no, definitely. Mark it down. Did you hear Robert Murray who said that? I never want to say never, but it ain't looking pretty. Never tell me the odds. Oh, God. What that meant. Don't reference Lord of the Rings on the show. That wasn't Lord of the Rings. I know it was Star Wars. I'm not an idiot. It's Star Wars. I just hate Star Wars. I don't hate Star Wars. I dislike. Here we go. 114 Ferrario A says we're getting into the playoffs, and B says we hate Star Wars. I strongly dislike Star Wars. Market hate is a very hateful word, and I don't like to use that word. Tivo. Hey, let the hate flow through you. <laughs> Only when Tanner tells me that he thinks I can't. <laughs> I don't tackle think him. he got the reference. Uh, no, I, was, that, was, that a, was that a Star Wars thing too? Yes, yes. very much so. <laughs> Enough with you two. In about 15 minutes or so, we are going to get into in or out, so you can send your in or outs to our Air Comfort Service text line at six five seven eight zero. But coming up next, if you heard Robert Murray of Fan Sided with us from the 12 o'clock hour, he said something about the Cardinals in 2022 that might get some Cardinals fans to gasp. We'll get into that next here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. And that's why I thought it was really smart of them not to go all in on the season, despite some fans wanting them to do so. Because this team, they need a lot of help, and they're not going to end up getting it in one trade deadline. It's it's going to end up being a very lengthy process for the front office there, and it's not going to take one or two moves. They thought that Arenado move was, was going to mask a lot of problems, and in reality, it's kind of probably opened up their eyes to just how many issues there are with this lineup. That was Robert Murray, a fan-sided national baseball columnist who joined us at 12.15 today. If you missed that interview, you could check the BK and Ferrario podcast out after the show. Check it out, 101ESPN.com. Thank you to our friends at I Promise. So Robert Murray talking about the Cardinals being far off. And you know what? Maybe it's shame on us, T-Bone, and maybe we have our Cardinal sunglasses on because that's what the Air Comfort Service text line tells us. Ah, you guys are just puppets for John Mozeliak. And it is sunny outside, so it they are very, very important. Surprisingly, it's not going to rain and ruin another softball game for me. It's going to be very hot. Though. Anyway, oh, maybe, 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 it, maybe it is on us more of looking at this team and feeling like they're better than what they are. And a lot of people have texted in saying, you know, you guys think Bader and O'Neill are a part of the future. They aren't. Everyone else you have on talks about them being fourth outfielders. And rightfully so. We've had a lot of national guests on. Jim Bowden, Robert Murray, uh, the former Houston Astros, ex, uh, former assistant Goldstein. GM. Goldstein, thank you. All have come on and said this team is further away than what you think. Meanwhile, the Cardinals front office says that 2022 they feel like is their year. 
where they can seriously make a push. Money's coming off of the books. Prospects are ready to graduate to the major league level. Health hopefully is on their side. They feel like 2022 is there. I'm starting to wonder if Robert Murray is on to something here, T-Bone, in terms of maybe this team feels like they're there, but if the prospects aren't ready to contribute, if Gorman's not ready to be an everyday player, if Levator's not ready to be an everyday player, if Yvonne Herrera's not ready to be an everyday player, then maybe the Cardinals take a low-risk approach and kind of play the field a little bit, just level out until these prospects are there this might be a three- to four-year thing rather than just a one-year fix like we all just assumed. Yeah, I think that one-year fix is starting to come into kind of a reality, kind of leave the idea of it being a possibility. I'm not going to say it's impossible for the Cardinals to fix this team in one year because they do have $60 million coming off the books. And as you mentioned, some of the prospects in Gorman, Libertor, Thompson— but it's going to be very tough for Nolan Gorman to take the next step into which he is an everyday player for the St. Louis Cardinals. And will he be ready by opening day of next year? I mean, I don't think so. I mean, we'll see if he gets a call up in September. But other than that, he won't have any Major League Baseball experience. I I think that there's so many holes on this Cardinals team that it's almost becoming kind of getting into the minds of, okay, how realistic is it to fix this in one offseason? Or is it going to take two? Now, the tough part for the Cardinals is, is you want to be pretty aggressive because you have your cornerstone guys right now in Arenado and Goldie, and you've gotten a lot out of the outfield that you may not have been expecting entirely, even though they were higher on, high on them themselves. I think it does become a question of how realistic is it to fix this in one offseason? might be a lot tougher than we thought. Yeah, and look, by no means is this an excuse to put together an average roster next season and say, oh, well, they're just waiting until they can be competitive. I do seriously think, though, that there's a conversation to be had of, is this going to be a competitive rebuild? And the reason I use that phrase is that's a phrase that was just used by Nashville Predators in the National Hockey League. David Poyle, who's traded away a bunch of um, pieces of their team that was fighting for a Stanley Cup the last couple of years, called it a competitive rebuild, saying that, look, we have pieces in place to still be one of the best teams in the NL Central or the Central Division, but we also are looking towards the future. And that might be where the Cardinals are at right now. For the Cardinals' top prospects rankings this season, their top three are projected to be major league players next year. Herrera, Gorman, Libator. Do we feel like they're going to be consistent threats next year for you? No, I don't think so. I think Levator is going to need still some seasoning down in Memphis. I think Gorman's going to need some seasoning down in Memphis. And Yvonne Herrera hasn't even been to Memphis yet. He's still in Springfield. So, no, I don't think they're the pieces that are missing next year. And if they're not ready to contribute, are you going to go spend $60 million on a shortstop, on a starting pitcher, on bullpen help, on bench help? As I said to you after Robert Murray's interview, the Cardinals aren't going to be the Yankees and just go spend 60 mil and put themselves back to where they are right now. That's why I think you look at it and you say, well, maybe they're just going to sit where they're at, stick with their outfield, stick with their infield, try and find an upgrade for the bench slash starting shortstop, but wait until these players can contribute and then be a little bit more aggressive. Yeah, and it comes down to how quickly do you think that those guys are going to be ready to contribute? Not be at the big league level, but be ready to contribute. With Dylan Carlson, I said at the beginning of the season, you know, he's going to be a good player for the Cardinals, and he's going to be a great player moving forward, but don't expect him to be the superstar when the season begins. He's going to go through his ups and downs because he's a rookie. He's learning at the big league level. He's adapting to the pitchers who are adapting to him. It's going to be the exact same way with Nolan Gorman. It's going to be the exact same way with Matthew Libertor as a pitcher. So 
it comes down to how quickly are the Cardinals going to think that they're ready? Because I don't think you can head into next season and have the same roster construction because you want to wait for your prospects to come up next year. I think you have to add. I, I think you have to add, whether it be a big impact bat or a starting pitcher or even just a bench bat to the team, you have to add something to improve it. And they'll do it, but... I think you need to try solidifying at least two of those spots, and depending on how ready you think some of your prospects are, that'll go into where you weigh that that decision to be. So uh, it's going to be very tough for the Cardinals. Again, to me, it's kind of like where the Blues were heading into this offseason. You have to nail the offseason for not so much to be a team that's competitive again, but to continue to extend your window. For me, the Cardinals will have to nail the next upcoming offseason so they can remain competitive and maybe get above the Milwaukee Brewers in the Cincinnati Reds in the National League Central and start to make those strides towards catching the Dodgers. And I'm not saying they're going to catch the Dodgers next year. I'm saying you can start to build the building block pieces that lead up to that level. Yeah, and I think that's the important perspective on this one. By no, And this is what Robert was saying. He said you're not going to be on the same level as the Dodgers and Padres from a one-year fix. Can you be on the same level, if not better, than the Brewers and the Reds in a one-year fix? Absolutely. I think if Nolan Gorman has an incredible spring and he's an everyday player for you, that makes you better because offensively. Can you go out there and spend money on maybe a Marcus Simeon or another shortstop who can split time with Paul DeYoung and Tommy Edmond in the field? That makes you better than Milwaukee and Cincinnati. And, of course, that means you're fighting for the top NL Central. And we've always talked about how you get into the playoffs and anything can happen. But maybe trying to catch the Dodgers and Padres is unrealistic thinking, oh, well, go get Trevor Story and you'll be better than them. Because you still need contributions. I mean, look what we talked about earlier today, T-Bone. You're talking about needing contributions from the bottom of your order. And Tommy Edmond wasn't performing there. Yadier Molina wasn't performing there. Paul DeYoung's not performing there. Your bench hasn't been performing there. So those are multiple upgrades right there. Your bullpen can't throw strikes. Multiple upgrades there. And then on top of it, you can't rely on five guys where three of them have been injured the last couple of seasons to be in your rotation. So as much as you want to say 2022 is the year, you can go out there. You can make a push. You can sign some players. But going out and spending... $200 million on one player isn't going to put you on the same level as a team like the Dodgers and Padres who have allowed those players to groom into the roles that they are contributing to what the season is offering. It's that flow that you and uh, Murray mentioned there, you know, where it's you need to go sign some players that can help the team. And then you also got to get that prospect influx that's going to come and kind of mesh together to combine and get you some of those cost control guys that are playing well. Like you've got Dylan Carlson, you've got the outfield cost controlled, playing good baseball. And then you bring in some of your big contracts like Goldie Arnado, go sign somebody as well. That's why I think it's more likely that the Cardinals will look to add to the pitching this offseason because you mentioned uh, the you mentioned the spending of the offense, spending $200 million on a shortstop, for example. It's pretty clear they need help up the middle offensively, yeah. whether it's shortstop or second base. Tommy Edmonds is a great player, but he's probably a utility guy coming off the bench for right. a great team. So I look at that and say I think they could stick with Edmond and DeYoung next offseason. I think that's what they're probably going to do. What they'll do is they'll spend money on pitching and hope that influx of talent will come from Nolan Gorman and he can solidify one of those that middle infield spot at second base. And then you just hope that Paul DeYoung can have another rebound season. Yeah. Can we stop with this Nolan Arenado's opting out thing? Like, is he opting out? I thought I thought we addressed this already and people are still saying, oh, he's going to opt out so you're not going to have him next year. Enough already. The guy has wanted to be here. He said he wants to be here. Even if the team misses the playoffs, they are nowhere near the level of the Colorado Rockies. So just enough with this already that Arenado is going to opt out of this. God, that is so – that's more frustrating for me, Marshy, than what you saw during the blue season when everyone kept saying fire Baruby. 
Oh, I get so, so freaking fired up with that one. He's Tanner Hendrickson. He is Andrew Marsham, Alex Ferrario. It is BK and Ferrario. You can send your air comfort service texts to our air comfort service text on at 65780. Play a game of in or out next here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's in or out with BK and Ferrario. for BK to come back so I don't have to hear you sing my part ever again. I might join you. Brutal. No, you're not allowed to join It's me. like a duet. T-Bone, you want to go to the Cardinals game Tuesday? Next Tuesday. This one's in Pittsburgh. Unless you want to go to Pittsburgh. I don't know. I, actually, I wouldn't mind going to Pittsburgh. Next That's a Tuesday. beautiful ballpark. Next Tuesday. You want to go to the Cardinals yeah. game? Yeah. Well, guess what? You can't. Why not? Well, you can if you listen to BK and Ferrario coming I up do. in our next I segment. I do. Well, you really never listen. So, you want a chance to win some tickets to that Cardinals game, the Bud Bash, on Tuesday, next Tuesday, the 17th. Stay tuned. We'll give those away coming up in our next segment uh, during the crossover. But now, in or out, Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Send us your in or out, along with Tanner Hendrickson and Andrew Marsham, Alex Ferrario. By the way, jerk move 618, in or out, Nolan Arenado with the Cardinals. Really? I just complained about that. We're not talking. Tebow, what do you got? All right, so ESPN has run the simulation of the season, you know, where they have, like, the computer run, like, 1,000 different put, simulations. They put of the- Madden mode on computer and sim through the year. Yeah, so they had down one of their the most likely Super Bowl matchup, according to their odds when they ran the simulation, is a Super Bowl rematch between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Are you in or out that that will be our Super Bowl matchup this season? I'm out. Oh. I, th- I think the Packers are going to be Super Bowl bound. And you think the Chiefs are rebuilding, too? I just don't know what the Chiefs, man. Like, they're weird. They still have three of the best players in the game in Kelsey Hill and in Mahomes. And I know BK and I have talked, and, and like their defense is young, but they might have some up and coming. I just don't know about them. Buffalo, I think Buffalo's serious. I think Cleveland's serious this year. The AFC, I, I would say probably it's going to be the Chiefs, but there's a chance. But I, I seriously believe the Packers are Super Bowl bound this year. I think there's. There's a lot that goes into this season with Aaron Rodgers. So so I'm going to say out on Tampa. Sorry, Jamie Rivers. On Tampa and Tom Brady going back. See, I'm out, but I'm out because of Kansas City. I, I think Tampa Bay will get back there. I'm with you. Green Bay's going to contend with them. I can see one of the teams in the NFC West contending with them. But I, I just not going to bet against Tom Brady. I'm, I've learned my lessons about seven different times. Now, the AFC to me is going to be interesting because I'm with you. I'm kind of iffy on Kansas City. They're going to be really good, but I could see someone like Buffalo. Can they maybe make that next step and get past them? Could we see uh, Tennessee Titans get past them? Could we see possibly Baltimore take that next step, Cleveland take that next step? I think the AFC is very competitive. I do think the Chiefs are heading in as the favorite. I just think this year we'll see somebody upset them, so I'm going to say out as well. I'm so in on this. Oh, yes. Marshy wants to see some Bucks and Chiefs. I well, I need a rematch. One, I missed. I didn't miss, but you know, I wasn't able to drinking. watch the like first half of the game comfortably because I was waiting for Buffalo Wild Wing wings. Wow, just throw him under the, the bus. Game. No, he's not waiting. He's just saying he's impatiently waiting, waiting to get those Buffalo Wild oh. Wings because oh, you everyone. Were hungry. 
Oh, dude, absolutely. Gotta be hungry. You, you have gotta to, have a snack. Is there no Super Bowl wings. snack? You know what fixes the the comfort? I was the one picking Beer? it up. No wings. So, oh, you were the you were the I was the you were the uh, oh you drew the short straw. You were the donkey. That's what I'm saying. I wasn't comfortably in a couch. I was the one picking up wings, but because you always have to have wings. Should have been listening to it on 101 ESPN. Cha-ching. Cha-ching. Anyways, I I mean, it has to happen. One, I, you can't count out Brady. Exactly. Every, you yeah, can't. You I just did. I yeah. You well, also like you also hate cut Star him Wars, when so. we did sit bench or cut with him, Breeze, and Favre. I did. I'm proud of it. Kansas City, though, I mean, they're just – it's Pat Mahomes, man. I we, we thought the same thing last year. Like, oh, Josh Allen, he's going to be the one to, you know, take him. Eh, no. I, I just don't see yeah. another team. Now, the AFC, I, I think the AFC is more competitive than the NFC. But I just – I don't think that – Pat Mahomes and the and the Chiefs will be taken down. So from the 980, in or out, boys, with super teams becoming popular these days, and with the Cardinals' lack of willingness to spend big in order to win, will they become irrelevant by 2024? So in or out, Cardinals will be irrelevant by 2024 because they won't spend money on big bats. I'm gonna say out because irrelevant means you view them like Baltimore and well, Baltimore develops pitching, so maybe not Baltimore. Baltimore's not irrelevant. They have the number one prospect. Yeah, so it's more of like being viewed as, I'm trying to think of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Do we really think that they're going to become irrelevant like the D- the Diamondbacks are? No, I, I, they're still going to be competitive. Are they going to get to the Dodgers, to the Padres, to these Giants levels where we feel like there's those super teams out West? Probably not, because again, they're not, like you mentioned, Texan, they're not going to spend big, at least I don't envision them doing so but they're going to be competitive they're going to be competing for the national league central every year which puts them into the playoffs and then anything can happen so irrelevant i'll say out on that oh man is oh, this he's nat- not gonna do it is, is this nationally or locally because locally they'll never be irrelevant oh no, yeah no, locally they'll never be irrelevant nationally i i hate to say this i think when you look around fans around the league i think they already start to Feel like the Cardinals are irrelevant just because they aren't getting those big names. Obviously, we have Arnado and Goldschmidt. Those are your two cornerstone players for this franchise. And then you have Wainwright and Flaherty. But those, there's not, they're, they're not the Dodgers. They're not, they don't have that that one flashy player like a Tatis Jr. They don't have someone who is going to be on the cover of the show. They don't have that guy. They're a Midwest baseball team. That happens to be one of the best baseball teams in the history of Major League Baseball. But I could see it happening if they don't turn things around. Yeah, I'm out on this. I don't think they're going to be relevant by 2024. I mean, you got three of the top prospects or some of not top prospects, three top 100 prospects in all of baseball with Herrera, Levator, and Gorman. And on top of it, you got Jordan Walker, who will be making some progress. So I don't think they'll be irrelevant. Um, I don't know if they're going to be a super team, which was part two of that question. I don't see them becoming a super team, but I don't think they're going to be irrelevant because I do think these guys are going to be uh, pieces of the puzzle. Boys, in or out from the 314, Colton Pareko will sign for eight plus mil next offseason. I'll start this one off. I'm out on this. I don't think he's going to get eight mil unless he has like a Norris trophy season. I don't think he's going to get that. Honestly, I would say throw out what these contract extensions are in terms of comping what Colton Pareko will get. I think you look at what Alex Petrangelo made. That makes some sense. I think you Didn't look. Didn't he make eight? 
he made eight. But where I'm going with this is I don't know if Colton Pareko's on that level with Petro. I don't think he's on that level with Petro. I think you're looking at something around seven, seven and a half million dollars. Think Victor Hedman, frankly. I think that's going to be the contract. And I think you probably try and give him a lot of years, six, seven years at seven, seven and a half million dollars. I don't think that puts you in a handcuff scenario. I honestly think what that will do, because uh, Frank Saravalli uh, put a piece out on, on his um, Daily Faceoff website, or not Daily Faceoff website. He put a piece out that basically in like four years, the cap is projected to be at like $92 million. So I think it'll be somewhere around that for Colton Pareko rather than being eight or nine mil. Yeah, I'm out as well, and I'm I'm basically at the same stance as you are. He's not at the Alex Petrangelo level, so he's not the – I think Petros is 8.2, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So he's not going to be there. But then I look at, like, the Falcon Crew contracts at 6.5. Well, he's better than them. So to me, he's going to sit right around that 7 to 7.5 range. That's about where I had him as well. Again, probably got to add on the terms, maybe add in a no-trade clause because I'm sure he'll want that in the contract. But no movement. You better not ask for the no-movement clause. Don't ask for the no-movement clause. I, I think it's probably six, seven-year deal around that 7 to 7.5, so I'm out on $8 million for Pareko. Marshy? Yeah, I'm out as well. I don't think you can... Well, one, you can't afford to pay him more than that if you want to keep your team around and relevant. The thing with those other guys that we talked about, the reason why they're getting so much money is because their teams are terrible and they need those guys. And like you said, they got desperate. The Blues are not desperate. They do have guys that can fill his position. Well, hopefully. We're hoping. We're hoping. But, uh, yeah, I don't see him making more than eight and a half. Maybe, maybe eight. That's as high as I'd go. One more from the 314. In or out, Schilt is the manager of the Cardinals in two years. T-Bone, start with you. Wow, throw us on the spot, 314. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say in. I-, I think a lot of what, and we've talked about this, a lot of what goes into Mike Schilt is behind the scenes. People want him to really call out his players. No Major League Baseball manager does that. Not very often, at least to the media. So I think what he does well is he's good behind the scenes. I, I don't think he mismanages the bullpen as much as it may sound like he does. So I think with him being a good kind of player manager, I think he's here for the long run. I think they expect Mike Schilt to be with them for whenever it is that they believe that they're ready to be that World Series contender, whether that's next year, two years, three years. I think they expect Mike Schilt to be that guy. So I'm going to be in. He's here in two years. I'm going to say in as well. This kind of reminds me of what we – sort of talked about earlier with the whole Craig Berube thing. A lot of people being upset with the coach, and rightfully so. I mean, people like to throw blame at at the coach, but I think this is sort of parallel to what we've seen with the Blues is that your roster is not constructed in the way that you would like it to be, and injuries have plagued you the entire year. So, I mean, the coach really can't do anything. Look, he's been to the playoffs. He's been to the NLCS. I do think within the next couple of years, he's got to get back to an NLCS. I don't think he's going to be fired in those two years. I think so. I'm out on this, but I do think beyond that two years, you're going to have to see some success in the postseason before you can sit. But you also have to see some movement from the front office there as well. Appreciate the text on the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We'll come back and cross things over with the fast lane and your shot at winning a four-pack for the Bud Bash All right. next Tuesday here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
if you want a shot at going to the Cardinals-Brewers game on August 17th, your only chance is this week here on 101 ESPN because it is sold out. But we have your chance to win a four-pack of tickets to that game against the Brewers. It's the Budweiser Bash for Cardinals versus Brewers. Next Tuesday's Bash features an exclusive David Freeze bobblehead. Winner must be 21 and over. Tickets courtesy of Budweiser and 101 ESPN. You can get all the details for the upcoming Budweiser Bash nights at cardinals.com slash promotions. So your shot to win is now. you got to be texter number six to tell us what body part t-bone saw hanging out of the window when he was driving home from his weekend vacation frankly this is just going to be amazing but the sixth texter to have that correct answer to our air comfort service text line at 65780 will be headed to a budweiser bash against the brewers bt in studio with us for the crossover how's the weekend man well it's going uh, it was good uh today was going good but there's a lot of appendages flying into the air comfort service text line at 65780 so it must have been one heck of a ride t-bone frankly it was definitely a weird ride i'll, I'll say that goodness. frankly i'm surprised t-bone didn't crash watching what he saw hang out of the window yeah, yeah, it's really a lot weird. Going on. No, BT, I need your help. Okay, good. I, can, I need your help. For you. you're, you're a dad of yes. two. Uh, I talked about this earlier. Someone asked how the baby was doing. I am in the mode now, my wife and I, of the baby waking up at 2 a.m. Yeah. every single night. Yeah. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if she's still hungry or if we're not putting her to bed at the right time. But how do you fix it? Because no, I can't take it. it. Oh, no, you can't you, fix it? No, it's just so. life now? I think you just hang with them. Look, Text line said suck it up and deal with yeah, it. Yeah, hang with it. Here's what you learn when you have kids, and a lot of parents can attest to this. Uh, you realize that you don't need near as much sleep as you thought you needed beforehand. <laughs> it's very like, true. Maybe not everything is perfect. Maybe you're pouring <laughs> coffee in your cereal in the morning, and it's, it's you're a bit of a hot mess. But you still like somewhat function. You still get through the day at the end of it. Now, my hope is it doesn't last for you for a long time. But our son didn't sleep through the night until 11 months. Really? He tried everything. I mean, remember being 11 just 11 months? 11 he months. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, we were late. It was zombie status. We'd be walking, like shaking. You're only six months away from that. We would fall asleep in the car, so we would do like the car seat. Oh yeah, and we drive him. We drive him around at night, dude. It'd be like nine o'clock at night. We drive him around. He'd fall asleep. We take him out of the car, a car seat, like you know, the carrier. It's like the hurt locker. Dude, put the carrier right into the crib. Really? If he's sleeping, he's sleeping. (laughs) A couple hours later, you know, like it just pick up the thing and go right back to the car. They sleep pretty good now. (laughs) My son's eight, uh, and my daughter is five. uh, But uh, I think. Was this during your playing time? So my son was born as I was still playing. It ended up being my final year. And when he was about three months old, I said, that's it. I'm done. Like, I'm never making it back. And, and it's a already exhausting. Yeah, my, my wife's worn out. Like she was, she was at home with right. my son, like for for three months after he was just born. Like he was born. I was at the hospital. I barely made it for him to be oh born. My gosh. And then a couple of days later, fly back to you know playing independent ball in Somerset, New Jersey. Yeah. Uh, so she was wearing it more than me. I'm talking about. Oh yeah, sleep was nice. She, <laughs> she was the worst three yeah. months. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but no, I, I so I never had like the kid wall fully playing. I decided uh, making very little money with no chance of coming back. Probably wasn't going to be my best. On top of being exhausted all probably the time. Probably wasn't going to be the best role. Yeah, probably wasn't going to happen. <laughs> that sounds about so anyways, right. To, long story short, it's not going to get much better. Just suck it up and get used to it Hang then. With them, That's yeah. good. Yeah, someone texted in and said, don't have kids. Well, we, we already had one. It's so too late. Can't get past that anymore. And of course, the wife already wants to have more in the future. So you just never sleep. They'll entertain each other. Will they?
they? Some people say that. I think that they <laughs> even get, when they're babies. No, they get together. And they're, they're, <laughs> Put them in the crib together. It's crazy, man. Like that's a hard part. And again, anybody that has multiple kids knows, knows this part of it too. There are some times where my kids play together so well. Yeah. And then there are other times where it's hours on end where I'm like, why do I even let you guys in the same room? Like where she's hey, looking at me, she touched me. Because you have boy girl. Yeah. Like, does the dynamic is it better to have boy girl or do you think it's like the same sex? I don't know. As man. siblings, I don't, I don't know. Like, like all I have is what I have, right? right? But maybe, maybe that is. Because I had a sister better. and we fought all the time. I yeah. had one too and we fought all the time. Yeah. Still fight and, all the time. And my son, like, like he has the patience of a saint. Really? Sometimes my daughter, because she can be a lot. Like she'll boss him around. Say, I said this. He's like, okay, Lexi, we'll do this. But then other times, not so much. So anyways, right. Best of luck. I think you should have four or five of them. Alex. Yeah, that's uh, fine. It's a lot of Ferraris well, that, running around. Well, by that time, you know, you'll just be already a zombie. A so pro. sleep doesn't really matter by them. Uh, BT, I did want to ask you because T Bone and I were talking about this, and I'm sure you guys will get into this at the fast lane. So don't sell the farm here. But Flaherty, Michaelis seem to be on their way back. Who do you push out of the rotation when those two return? I really don't care, to be totally honest. Whoever's with pitching yeah, the best. I mean, like uh, whatever's there. I think that uh, Wade LeBlanc is throwing the ball well, yeah. uh, but he's also proven he could be good in your bullpen for you. Wherever the days fit, like or whoever is throwing the ball well, it doesn't matter to me. So whether it's Hap or it's Lester or it ends up being LeBlanc, yeah. whatever. I'm, I'm getting two upgrades back. So the, the question, though, to answer internally, if you're going to keep these guys all on your roster, is who can actually pitch out of the pen? Yeah, LeBlanc has shown you that. I don't know if Jay Happ can pitch out of the pen. I don't know Lester at this point if he can do it because it's a whole different process of warming up, getting yourself ready, having to answer the bell every couple of days. Now, whoever is in that role is going to be a prototypical long guy. It's not like they're going to have to pitch two out of three right. days. Oh, fingers crossed. But to me, it really doesn't matter. Yeah. As long as Wayno's still in there and KK is going to be in there as well, uh, then you're good to go with the other three and you just kind of mix it. Wayno, the showstopper. It still impresses me every freaking time. Time he takes them out, man. man. Well, yeah, and that, and that's the thing. Like, so you have you have Jack Flaherty coming back, and I probably missed something by now. They said which day he's. Pitching. They haven't said yet. So Katie it, said earlier she thinks Thursday. it would be Friday. Like, push him to the Royals because of the DH, so he doesn't have to swing. But she well, said he's going to want to do Thursday. No, she's probably right, but I yeah. hate that idea. Well, I know so I do much. too because Thursday's to be determined. Yeah, well, and he you said would assume, he was going to pitch. Right. See, the thing is, too, if Wayno wasn't doing his magical Wayno things, generally you would think, all right, well, let's push the uh, 39-year-old starter, push him back. Give him a another day. day. We'll slot Jack right in there on his fifth day because Wednesday would be five yep. days for him from his rehab uh, rehab start on Friday. Right. But right now, I need Wayno pitching every fifth day. And here's another question that I'm really interested in is how the Cardinals going to handle this, knowing every game means so much but you also know that jack means a lot for your future yeah. do you keep jack on every fifth day or do you run him with the schedule of every fifth game because the cardinals have a lot of off days. and if they run him every fifth day i think i was doing uh, doing the numbers last week i want to say that he can get like nine starts in potentially if you ran him every fifth day he's had a lot of time off yeah he should be very healthy at this point so i'm going to be interested if you to go see how they do that. every fifth game you're probably looking at what three games probably less seven six yeah, or seven something starts. like that wow that's a really interesting i didn't even think of that bt what else you guys got coming up on the fast lane today man yeah well like danny mac hasn't spoken up on the station 
today. So he's going to come join us, and uh, he got all kinds of good stuff. And he caught up with David Freeze recently, so we're interested to talk to him a, a little bit about that. And, look, we're going to break down the Cardinals. We're going to uh, break down some NFL. Jamie's always got some blue stuff. And the biggest thing, we're going to have some fun. It's uh, Monday. Let's have a little fun. Monday started off with some positivity. Well, BT, Stoltz, Jamie Rivers meet. They're coming up with the fast lane. BK will be back with us tomorrow and the rest of the week, so we'll be excited for that one. Tomorrow, starting at 11 here on BK and Ferrari on 101 ESPM. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. When you need auto parts, O'ReillyAuto.com is just a few clicks away. We offer convenient options for you to get your parts quickly. Order online and pick up for free at your local O'Reilly Auto Parts store. We'll even bring it out curbside. Or you can have your parts delivered right to your door with free shipping on most orders over $35. Visit O'ReillyAuto.com. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Science proves quality sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. The Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed senses your movements and automatically adjusts to help keep you both effortlessly comfortable. And it's temperature balancing, so you stay cool. So you're at your best for yourself and those you care about most. Life-changing sleep, only from Sleep Number. It's our ultimate Sleep Number event. Save 50% on the Sleep Number 360 Limited Edition Smart Bed plus special financing, only for a limited time. Special financing subject to credit approval. Minimum monthly payments required. See store for details.